space, the final frontier. These are the voyagers of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome back to Trek Chats, the podcast where we timidly go to where to where you are so we can talk to you about Star Trek, if that's okay. Maybe. Please, please. I'm one of your two hosts, uh, uh, gosh, Trek um, ranks, I'm an ensign. Didn't we do this bit before where it's like our ranks are too low? I'm mm-hmm. the admiral of the entire Starfleet. Magellan. And I'm... And, uh, yeah. What's Admiral, your thing? Uh, who is the Admiral of Starfleet canonically? Is there an... Ad- oh. Oh. Don't look that up. <laughs> Don't Google that. <laughs> it's a big spoiler. I just did for myself. Oops. Okay. Got it. Uh, I'm Commander Allen, and uh, and we're the Trek... We're Trek Chats. Uh, Star yeah. Trek First Watch podcast. Yes, indeed. Uh, if you are listening to us on the Trek Chats feed, we are associated with Chats, a television podcast where we've watched many sci-fi television shows such as Farscape or Babylon 5 or, you know, things like that. And so we're coming to Trek Chats with that kind of experience, but very minimal Star Trek experience. And uh, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash chatspod, where we've piloted uh, a few Star Trek series, which will be relevant in our discussion of the last episode of what we're talking about today, which is TNG season three, which we're going to talk about right now. So Alan, we just over the course of the last three months, and by that I mean over the course of the last, what, two weeks, <laughs> watched yeah. Star Trek The Next Generation season three. Uh, what uh, what are your immediate, well, how are you? I mean, a lot has been going on in your life too. It's true. So this is going to obviously inform part of our discussion, but you mentioned last episode how, you know, this season we're really going to try to watch these and spread them out. And uh, I did not anticipate uh, moving and traveling for a week uh, back to back to back in that last month. Mm -hmm. And the first two months we're planning for moving and traveling. So uh, I was also tragically uh, forced to watch these in like the space of two weeks, which definitely colored my opinion of some episodes and just like my overall feeling about the season um mm-hmm. and so I, I make no claim to objectivity nor do i ever do that but like mm-hmm. i don't know i that that was a factor but at the same time it was really really comforting to just like have star trek to watch between so much change in my life and so many like things happening because it's like the most watchable show ever right i've had mm-hmm. roommates friends and family over while getting the move set to, set together and like when star trek is on people can just watch it and be like yep i know what's happening and i understand why this is good and it's just like it's always there you know it's been a kind of creature comfort for me in the past couple months so uh i've really enjoyed it for that reason yeah what about you? yeah i was in a similar boat um i was on a school trip um internationally for about 10 days in august and then the school year started and I just recently am coming back from this overnight retreat that I had a big role in planning. And so it's been like super busy for me. Um, and I've been cramming Star Trek into the nooks of, of that time, which has been a challenging thing to do. Uh, 
my girlfriend, Amanda, was gracious enough. Uh, we've been meal prepping together every Sunday. And so last Sunday when we were meal prepping, we watched like six, seven episodes of Star Trek in a row. Uh, Whoa, so, nice. You know, big, big thanks to her for, for putting up with that. Because um, it was a chunk of the season that wasn't the best chunk, I would say. Um, but her review was like, yeah, it's fine. It's nice to have in the background. I, I don't hate it. <laughs> it's like, okay, awesome. That's a win for Star Trek TNG. Um, but I agree that it just felt, even the episodes that weren't so great, it's like, this is just nice to have on and to know where I can tune in and be like, whoa, this is kind of new and interesting and where I can tune out and be like, oh, Riker flirting again, you silly guy. Uh, and and that was definitely a comfort for me as well. Yeah, we've absolutely, we've absolutely reached the point in the series where the quality is consistent enough that uh, you're not, I'm not watching it to be like, Oh, what disaster of an episode premise are they going to do now? Right. But it's not so stupendously amazing that I'm like, I must be focused in on every line, uh, which is like a really nice medium. Cause we've talked about how the show has improved over time. And I think most fans have said that season three is where the show found its footing. How do you feel so far about season, having now finished season three about how it like compares to seasons one and two? Uh, I think there there's a few things that make it different to the extent that I understand why people say it hits its stride here in season three. I I think that's true. I mean, some of the best episodes that we've seen are still in seasons one and two, but overall there are certain things that season three does that I think set it apart. First off, um, there's a lot more attention paid to like ongoing continuity. In my opinion, anyway, there are tons of references throughout this season to the conflict with the Romulans, which I feel like was, it was a non-entity in season one because season one ends with the Romulans being like, Hey, we're the Romulans. And then, or is that season two? One of them. Uh, And season two, it's like kind of on the periphery, but season three, it's like, look, the Romulans are around. We're talking about them a lot. We're running into them a couple times and having some like kind of demilitarized zone issues with them. And so those things felt more important. There are a few episodes where characters will reference something that happened like two or three episodes ago, um, which felt like it was making the show more cohesive. And then, you know, there were a lot of episodes that were still sort of standard, like, okay, I feel like I've seen this exact plot before in a TNG season, but there weren't any ones that were like, whoa, that was a huge stinker. And then there were quite a few that I think were pretty interesting and novel and uh, making moves to like kind of deconstruct Star Trek a little bit more. Um, So I came out of season three thinking like, okay, I'm not like, oh my God, blown away. This show did stuff I didn't expect it to, but I feel like we saw a handful of episodes that kind of raised the bar in my mind of what TNG is capable of doing and what it's going to be doing for, for seasons going forward. So um, I really liked it for, for those reasons. Yeah. I, I think my, my baseline review is the worst episodes of season three are better than the worst episodes of seasons one or two. Uh, Yes. If anything, the only problems with season three episodes are that, like I said earlier, they just, they run out of archetypes sometimes and they start to do 
the same archetypes over and over again. I'm referring to specifically to the, the there's a tweet that's like, Every once in a while, TNG will be like, on this episode, Riker is indeterminably horny, and it almost causes a catastrophe. And, like, there are at least three of those that I can think of. Another classic archetype is a man comes onto the ship and has a romantic involvement with uh, Deanna Troy, and he has a special ability, and we need to learn to empathize with him, or else he's going to destroy everything. Um, Right. Or there's a piece of alien technology that we feel obligated to take care of or protect or destroy or locate. And we, you know, talk about the responsibilities of Starfleet in our adventure to do that. Uh, yeah. I would say those like cover many of the episodes of this season. Yeah. There were definitely quite a few episodes where when I was cooking with Amanda, like one of those Deanna Troy episodes came on or maybe two of them even. Yeah. And the first one I was like, okay, so this happens a lot where there's like a guy that comes on the ship and, it's a thing. And then it happened again a couple episodes later. And Amanda's like, oh, it's happening again. <laughs> like <Yeah>. already <laughs> in a span of, of a few episodes, we'd seen the pattern reiterate itself. Um, so it might also just be that like I'm more forgiving of TNG kind of repeating itself at this point because I can just say, yeah, okay, I'll have fun sitting with this one, but I'm going to kind of turn my critic brain off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're just sort of doing something I've seen before, but um, yeah, yeah, and these are these are archetypes that don't even get overdone these days anymore. So it's still novel to be like guy with special power mm-hmm. does cool thing, uh, and sometimes I find those episodes fun, and sometimes they're just kind of a drag. Um, yeah, the last big thing I want to talk about is is and it's less of a big deal this time than it was last season, especially, but just character and like show theme changes, how things have like evolved in season three. Uh, because mm-hmm. you obviously mentioned uh, the greater emphasis on like continuity and uh, certain ideas and characters returning. Uh, I loved all of that. I also thought it was really cool that some characters straight up are in a different position in their lives than they were at the beginning of season three. Referring specifically to Worf, uh, to Jordy, and to Wesley, honestly. Um, because the only like new, new character that seems like he's going to come back regularly is... Uh, Barclay, Reg Barclay. Um, but otherwise, like in terms of our main crew, like we have now kind of settled, if I'm understanding correctly. Uh, I don't think there are like Barclay is going to come back. I'm sure. I mean, I know the fandom loves him so much that like you don't just because he because he leaves the thing at the end of the episode. He's like, oh, don't forget about like protocol A or something. Mm-hmm. So he sets up that he's going to come back at least once. But I just know from osmosis that people like him so much that he's going to come back in some context. Um, But yeah, other than him, nobody, there's nobody new. Am I like missing anybody major that, well, I mean, obviously Crusher is back, which is great. Crusher's back is the big thing I would say. And uh, in terms of character changes, uh, Jordy is like coming into his own more in engineering Mm -hmm. and like developing as a character and also a romantic archetype. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll have some thoughts about that when we talk about his holodeck adventure. Right. And how that is handled. Uh, Worf has an incredible arc in his episode that leads to him uh, being uh, disgraced by the, um, what is his race called? The Klingon. The Klingon. High Command Kling- or whatever. The Council. Yeah, the, the Klingon High Council. Like, you know, uh, dis- he's disgraced by them because of political reasons. And uh, Wes is finally done with his Starfleet training and is now an official ensign. Uh, he's a red shirt now by the end of the season, which just kind of mm-hmm. happens at the end of Sarek. You're like, oh awesome i love this thank you good for good for wes 
to my knowledge, I I don't think Wesley's long for the show. Actually, I don't think he makes it through the whole. Yeah, series. I, yeah, I believe he is gonna leave soonish. Maybe after the next season or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, but we can talk about that. Were there any other like yeah. character or big changes through this season that you wanted to just like shout out? Um, I, I think there are some characters that they continue to forward because they're interesting, and some that they're sidelining a bit. Like, I felt like this was kind of a Riker light season, except for the last episode is obviously a big Riker episode. Yes. Um, but it, he really feels like more of a peripheral character uh, in this season than in previous ones. Uh, there's a lot of data stuff in this, which I think yeah. started in season two and is continuing here, which is cool because data's interesting. Um the wharf stuff is good. They tried to do more plots with Crusher, but it didn't always feel like those were characterful, you know? Um, but I, you're talking about Beverly like or a, Wes? Beverly. Beverly. Okay. Beverly. Beverly. Um, and then some interesting Picard-centric episodes that I think, you know, are hit or miss because they vary in, like, tonal uh, nature from one yeah. another. And uh, in terms of like bigger picture themes, I think more so than other seasons, this to me felt like it was a Cold War show in ways that uh, other seasons of Star Trek didn't. Um, Like I think other seasons had been more about kind of like this imagined peaceful future and they were about more kind of like divorced from presentist concerns uh kind of colonization stories but like you know prettied up versions of them whereas here like i was saying before there's a lot more conversation about like oh the romulans are going to do this or like this situation is escalating and we have to do something about it diplomatic arrangements and uh the like prime directive is less of a thing in this season, I feel like, or there's less conversation about it. There's some, but I feel like the enterprise uh, does more to kind of violate the prime directive and forward the interests of Starfleet in this season. Um, yes. So I don't know, you know, this season's coming out, it starts in 1989, goes to 1990. Um, so this is obviously the very end of the Cold War. The world is changing. We see some introduction of, you know, themes about characters being terrorists, which we'll talk about that episode. Um, mm-hmm. But it it definitely felt more of its time geopolitically than I think previous seasons had, which is, uh, I think, interesting and also dates it a little bit in some of the ways that it depicts those conflicts. But that was my read on it anyway, is this season felt for the first time like TNG is like a Cold War show. I absolutely agree. It's it's interesting because it's also becoming a 90s show. You can sort of like feel it right. evolving right. into concerns of people in the 1990s. Um, I think that the Cold War stuff is also a result of uh, the introduction of Ronald D. Moore as one of the lead writers on the series. Uh, mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Moore, who would go on to do Battlestar, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, is like deeply, deeply concerned with military conflict and how uh, mm-hmm. different conflicts can bubble over into like active war. Uh, <clears throat> and so, like the setup of all that stuff is shown most evidently in the episodes that he wrote this season. 
Um, so I think that's where it comes from. Because we don't do a ton of uh, like research on the production of the show. We're trying to just like watch the show as a show. But to my knowledge, at this point, they're getting further and further from Roddenberry. And like we have a TNG writing team now. So it feels mm-hmm. more cons- way more consistent, which is my biggest point about season three. Is at the, they finally found consistency instead of this feeling of like, oh my God, that one was terrible. Okay, the next one's amazing, but oh my gosh. It's like, no, there, there's never a point in season three where I was like, I actively disliked an episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I imagine our tier list will, will skew a, lo- a little bit higher, uh, but we'll see. Something that's kind of interesting um, on the Memory Alpha page for season three, the first sentence of the summary is, season three is marked by a string of abductions with six people being kidnapped and Captain Picard being abducted no less than three times. Captain Picard is abducted by aliens, takes a vacation, which eventually gets him caught up in a search for a weapon from the future. Uh, Mind melds melds with Sarek, is mistaken for a god by a primitive culture, da-da-da-da-da, kidnapped, kidnapped again. Um, This season also features a loose story arc involving political tension between the Federation and the Romulan Star Empire, and the latter's attempts to destabilize the the Federation-Klingon alliance, uh, which is definitely a part of what's going on as well. Um... And then the Borg, the Borg stuff too. Uh, it was interesting to see, you know, we'll get here. Um, by the way, Jonathan Frakes makes his directorial debut in this season. True. Great uh, episode. With the episode, we'll talk about it. the offspring. Yep. Uh, we'll talk about it. Um, but it's interesting having seen, because just in case people didn't know this, we've seen, um, the best of both worlds, parts one and two. We watched them for our Patreon in order to pilot, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So a more lengthy discussion of of those episodes is on our um, Patreon. But it's interesting to see season three prepare you for the best of both worlds with these stories about people getting kidnapped, with these stories about political tension and militarization, with some episodes that are about like, is this person the real version of themselves? Or like, can we trust this person that we care about so much. Oh, did data really shoot that guy? You know, stuff like that kind of introduces themes of doubt and uncertainty and tension and violence and gets you to the point where you're primed for best of both worlds to happen. And and in the season, I think that's pretty artfully done. And I'm enjoying the fact that I was able to watch the season knowing where it was going to go. Yeah. Because I can kind of see them like lay the thematic foundation for, for that moment at the end of the season. Yeah. And honest to goodness, season long arc. And, and, and to that point, like so many of these characters in season three are like doing big things and making big choices. Like that moment mm-hmm. of, of data in uh, the most toys where you're like, Oh, data was going to do something like that's, you know, we're talking about how like data is more prominent in this season and they've kind of like refined what he's about. And at this point it's, he's so human that he makes impulsive decisions sometimes and like commits mm-hmm. to certain things that you're like, to basically characters on TNG season three actually commit to things instead of just saying they're going to do things in right. a way that's like really exciting. and makes it feel like the potential is way larger, which is how you get to best of both worlds where it's like, yep, we are doing this. We are really going to do this to Picard. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's talk about the episodes. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. So for those who are new to Trek chats, first of all, thank you for joining us. And second of all, uh, we basically do our, our standard S A B C D tier list uh, for the episodes. And in so doing, we briefly discuss each one, just like a one second summary and 
uh, what we thought of it. So we're going to go down the episodes and rank them in that way. Yeah, we also do um, bad but actually good, which is below F, but maybe it's above F and above everything. I don't know if we'll get any of those in this season. I was just um, thinking that. I'm like, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that I'm like. Eh. Let's let's hold space for bad but actually good just in case. Of course, of course. All right, so we start the season with Trek Jet Season 3, Episode 1, entitled Evolution. And this begins one of my favorite aspects of Season 3, which is a series of delightful cameo appearances from yeah. actors I really like. So Ken Jenkins is just in this one uh, as a sort of classic Star Trek character of like, my experiment. No. No. My experiment. I watched this I one need- with Art. I watched this yeah. one uh, with Arthur from Full Metal Analyst, friend of the pod, and we were joking about how there's always a guy like this who's like, no, my please. experiments. I'll do anything for my experiment. <laughs> he'll sacrifice the crew. He'll sacrifice himself if it means that the the holy mission, the experiment that matters more than anything else can be completed. Yeah. Uh, so this one involves nanites being released on the ship. It's They get taken care of. It is mostly a reintroduction to the crew and also reintroduction to Beverly, which I love. And I think Beverly. the best moment of this episode is her talking to Picard and being like, so how is my son, though? It's been a year. And he's like, I mean, yeah. he's good, whatever. And she's like, no, but like, how actually how is he? Like, is he seeing anyone? Is he depressed? Is he <laughs> lashing out? I like that. Uh, Stubbs, the character played by Ken, Ken Jenkins, plays baseball in his mind palace. He's like, I don't need a hollow deck because I have this right here. And points to his brain. And it's like, what, dude? (laughs) And uh, otherwise, the main plot to me was pretty mid. I think that Beverly wins this one on charm. uh, Yeah. Because it was just great to see Gates McFadden again. Yeah. Overall, it's a low B, high C for me. I think it's a C. Yeah, it's just not super memorable. TBH. It It was also just a bummer that we started on like a C tier episode. Yeah. I was like, what? wait, is it, season three going to be boring? What happened? It felt really good to be watching Star Trek again, but then I was like, meh. All right. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, okay. So then we get into episode two, which is called mm-hmm. the ensigns of command, uh, which is kind of an odd episode. Uh, yeah. it, it's the first of many season three data episodes. And essentially, Data, is this the one with the terrorist guy? No, that's a different one. That's a different one. That's a different one. This is the one where he's on the colony of people and he, they're like, right, uh, they're, the aliens are going to destroy them. Right, and they're trying, the uh, Enterprise is trying to convince them to leave and they're like, no way. And then Data tries to convince them and he tries to learn things about humans to convince them to leave. And, and he like learns that ner- being threatening is the best way to get people to leave. Right. And there's like a nerdy girl who has like a big crush on Data because she's like benevolently racist against androids. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's kind of a strange episode. Yeah. The woman having a crush on Data it brings up a new uh, concept, which is like, what if anybody was capable of love and affection? And so, like, they just injected uh-huh. a lot of like romance plots into every other episode. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought she was charming, but I agree that when you say benevolently racist, it's like, Oh, your your androids are better than us, and that's why you're sexy. Is because you're so much better than humans. Oh my God, I love androids. I would love to be with one. And he just is a king and has no interest in that. He's like, I don't. 
I get mm-hmm. it. I understand that love is happening at me, and I'm not. You're not doing anything for me, pal. Sorry. Right. He gives her a little kiss just to be nice. He says, "It seemed like you needed it," and she's like, yeah. "Oh, Data. <laughs> oh, you." She's practically professing her love to him, and then he's like, "I, I simply don't feel these emotions. It's not your fault. You seem cool, but yeah, I don't got those settings." Um, yeah. yeah, I thought that the, the the resolution though of him like. I'm going to shoot you guys and you can't stop me. And I'm on the stun setting right now, but I could turn that off. And they're like, okay, I guess if you can do that, then the bad guys can do that. They could kill us whenever they want to. So we're going to leave. It's like weird. You know, sometimes they like, I'm like, what are you guys trying to say in a broader sense about like how to this, this season does have a couple episodes about like how, what you do with like slavery or imperialism or colonialism. How to how do, the rebels handle that in those situations mm-hmm. and what are, right. what are quote unquote good ways to handle that, which I feel right. weird about, but me too. Definitely better than the first one. Yeah. I wonder if it's enough better to be in a different tier though. Yeah. What do you think? I think so. Right. I think data, I just like data very much. I continue to love data. Like he's my best friend. Data is always pretty entertaining, I will say. Yeah. Was Data your favorite character in this season too? Um, I actually ended up really liking Jordy in this season. Actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've this wanted to like him for a while. For Jordy. I've wanted to like him for a while, and now to finally get like episodes about him, I was like, "Thank you, fucking finally." Let's let's go. Yeah. Guys. I felt like Bavar Burton was finally like the most comfortable I've seen him in the character. Agreed. Cool. There are there are parts I notice this about his delivery. There are parts where like you know how most TNG episodes start with like things going fine, like it's just business as usual. Yeah. Where someone will tell him to do something and he'd be like, "Yes, Captain," and you get the sense that he's like not bored of his job, but he's just like <laughs> he's the only one who treats it like it's a day job, and I love that right. about Jordy. Right. That's pretty funny. Good performance for sure. Yeah. Uh, um, introduce the next one. Yeah. Oh, this one. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this is pay super close attention to this one but it's bizarre it. it's very it's a bizarre weird episode season three episode three the survivors which is about uh the people who seem like the only remaining survivors on a devastated planet and the crew of the enterprise are trying to figure out like hey is this planet useful why are there like live people why are there life signs on it but mm-hmm. are there or uh are these like manifestations of grief and uh I forget who is actually not alive. I forget if it's the guy who's the alien and he's there it's, because the I think it's the guy who's the alien and the woman is like a projection or something or I don't remember. Let me, let me double check. There's the whole thing also the B plot is that Deanna Troy has music playing through her mind really loudly because of one of the aliens doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin is a doubt and a mortal being with vast powers. He met his human wife many years before and decided to live as a human with her. The alien raiders, uh, he, he knew as a being of hideous intelligence and he was a pacifist. So he didn't want to hurt them. He used his powers to trick them, make them think that they're all dead. Uh, hide, fighting what seems like a hopeless battle, uh, out of regret. He annihilated their race with a single thought and he felt so bad about it that he recreated, uh, the woman in their house and sentenced himself to exile. So, Mm. kind of yeah it's a lot of but it's a very talky episode it's a classic tng like right the stuff they're talking about sounds fascinating but the stuff they're doing is just like talking to old people right yeah it doesn't really work as like a tv episode it sounds like a cool sci-fi story but it doesn't really translate to television 
mm-hmm. super well. Yeah. I don't have, I barely have any notes on this one. I wrote a classic mystery episode. I was worried when they used the term genocide that they were going to do some sort of Holocaust thing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I liked the ending of like, sometimes you have to let an alien fuck his hologram girlfriend and knock it. You just don't get involved. That's <laughs> crazy. Sorry. Just like, um, let him be there. No, it's no problem with letting a guy do that, I guess. He did do, <laughs> a, he did, he did do a genocide. My last note was, so the old people turned out to be a bad alien who felt guilty or something, I guess. Took a three-hour nap in the middle of this one. My God. My Lord, Lord Almighty. Good thing you took your naps early in the season. Yeah. Once things yeah, started yeah. cooking later. I, was I like, think oh, this oh. is C. Yeah, I agree. Season three really starts slow. I will say that. It it takes a while to to hit its stride, I think. Yeah, I watched this this stretch of episodes on the plane going to uh, California, and mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, this is the only entertainment in front of me. I'm gonna pay attention. Like, I'm gonna, I, I have no choice but to appreciate this or fall asleep. And I found myself engaged. Falling asleep. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. Why I have trouble falling asleep on planes, but I was like uh-huh. r- a little engaged in all of these, um, yeah. especially this next one. Oh God! Speaking of cameos, uh-huh. yeah. So fucking Ray Wise is a fake Vulcan. Hell yes. Bizarre. And they're like a race that isn't as technologically advanced. So they have little tunics on. So he just looks like an elf man. Yeah. (laughs) It's what is going on. Uh, Basically, Ray Wise and his, uh, they're Mintakins. Is that what you wrote here? That's how they said it? Yeah. Yep. Him and his Mintakin friends see members of the Enterprise, and then the Enterprise has to spend the whole episode being like, oh, shoot, we messed up the Prime Directive because they saw us, and now we have to erase their memories. <gasps> and now we have to erase their memories, but then we don't erase their memories, and now Ray Wise thinks that Picard is a god, and now we're fighting about it. And then um, Deanna Troy and Riker go down as fake Mintakins, which is awesome. And they basically try to gaslight this entire race of people. Uh, it's a thing. It it ends with a pretty metal confrontation. There's some moments in this season where Picard really like, you know, does some cool stuff and and uh, is willing to get shot in the chest. Essentially, <laughs> sorry. Did we say that this episode is Who Watches the Watchers? By the way, I don't know if Who Watches the Watchers episode yes. four. Mm-hmm. Um, but the conflict ends with Picard being like, "Look, you think I'm a god?" shoot me and I'll get hurt really bad. And then <laughs> he gets shot and hurt really bad. Uh huh. It's awesome. My, my by trivia a bow about, and arrow by so a bow good. and arrow. I love bow and arrows in sci-fi. That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, couple notes I had about this. A couple like trivia one Ray wise being in, this is amazing and believing that Picard is God because he has a healing thing on the ship and like sees a spaceship. Uh-huh. He's like, this has to be God as amazing. And like, that's the one bit of like, Ooh, the prime directive is messy. Uh, number two, OG, his daughter who also is involved in this plot is played by Pamela Adlon with a lot of makeup. Okay. Uh, famous comedian and voice of Bobby Hill on King of the Hill, Pamela Adlon, yeah. which I just thought was fascinating. And also, uh, this episode was co-written by Richard Manning, who, if I'm not mistaken, went on to work on Farscape. Oh, yep, I recognize that name, Ricky Manning. Yeah, I yep. believe that is the same person. If I'm not, if I'm not wrong, uh, 
I'm gonna double check his. Oh yeah, yes, that's him. That's Ricky right there. I remember. I remember either he followed us on Twitter or he like tweeted at us or something, mm-hmm. like seven years ago. He seems like an all right dude, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> who watches the Watchers? I thought this one was kind of fun. I actually, you know, when we did speaking of Star Far Escape, when we did Escape Chats, I was like, man, I, I always wanted more away team episodes. And mm. now watching TNG, I don't really find myself liking the away team episodes very often. No, me neither. Me neither. Because they have to stretch the budget so hard to like make it look remotely believable, and it doesn't always right. succeed. And the Enterprise just looks cool. Like it's just it a does. cool place to be. I don't know. I I don't find myself longing to leave the Enterprise very often. They have all the all their best sets are on there, obviously, and right. You know, what they rely on in this episode is like painted backgrounds, which are fine. And a lot of mm-hmm. music does the the music does the emotional lifting here, which is like fun to me. I think that this season's soundtrack is really good. But uh, my only last note was that um, at the end when Picard is like explaining how you're not supposed to mess with other cultures, he's like, you know, culture and technology actually develop like in a linear order. Like we can't just give you guys healing tech and give you teleportation because it will like disturb the balance and also not every culture develops at the same speed so like Mm. sorry guys we could help you but we can't uh it's a theme that i find interesting yeah it ends up being i think a very entertaining blend of campiness and some interesting meditation on the prime directive like it's the only episode that i think really addresses the prime directive in an engaging way in this Mm -hmm. season in my opinion um so it's at least a b just because it's like got that entertainment value, I think. I agree. Who watches uh, the Watchers? I, let's talk about the bonding next, huh? So I, I was like, is TNG gonna get dark I, this season? I but really like this episode. It sounds like you didn't. This is no. the first one that I thought was actually really good. I, I haven't said anything about the episode yet. I just okay. was like, okay. is is TNG season three going to get dark? Yes, it mm-hmm. is, and they're gonna handle it with a lot of like class and elegance like this is an episode about grief and having just finished to leftovers i'm still kind of hungry for shows and stories about grief and i was like (laughs) this is so interesting so basically uh the episode opens with like an away team mission that goes poorly for a uh a team member who we haven't heard of before and her son jeremy is still on the ship and is like grief they're helping the various members of the team are, are helping him grieve the loss of his mother and meanwhile, an alien beams onto the ship in the guise of his mother and is trying to take him back home uh, to be his caretaker. And the Enterprise crew has to be like, that's really nice that you're thinking to do that, but you can't do that. You have to let people grieve. His mom is dead and mm-hmm. recreating his mom in a simulacrum on a planet that he can't even live on is like not helping him. And right. this also intertwines with um, him, Jeremy, the, the kid, becoming friends with Worf via a uh, Klingon bonding ceremony. That's why it's called the bonding, which mm-hmm. is a great peek into Klingon culture that we get way more yeah. of later. And just it's essentially very- like an adoption, but like I'm adopting you as my brother kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. You're like a sub in a, 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 a quote unquote, like permitted Klingon, you know? Yeah. I loved it. I was like, wow, you did it. You told, you told a good dramatic story. You had a child actor who was great. You, you nailed it here, guys. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's th- an underrated type of episode. Like it doesn't have, mm-hmm. it has a sci-fi premise, but at the end of the day, you can, uh, you can, what's it called? You can tell a sci-fi story without using like magic and lights and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because the only sci-fi stuff really is that there's this creature that's creating this like false environment and mimicking his mom. And otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah, and we're on a ship, I guess. Um, I really like this episode because it also had Deanna Troy like being a therapist and doing some like yeah. family therapy stuff, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole sequence where Wesley yells at Picard to show the boy that it's like okay to be mad at the person who was responsible for your parent dying and you can like let that out and not let it embitter you. Um, I thought that was all really beautiful. So I really liked it. Writing debut of Ronald D. Moore on the show, by the way. True. This is his first yep. one. Speaking of like, yeah, war and the effects of war on people. You have a child mm-hmm. who's dealing with the loss of his mom. Uh, there are, this is definitely the first major high point of the season. Um, I found an article on StarTrek.com yeah. that's called 30 Years Ago, The Bonding Subtly Rebooted the Next Generation, which mm. ostensibly is arguing that before this, one of the biggest worries of the show was we don't feel like we know the crew. We don't feel like they're family. And like mm. seeing all of these characters like reach out to Jeremy and like be empathetic and and like root right. for him despite right. all the opportunities to neglect him brought the show from like, a crew of like uh, sort of like a stoic outcasts to a family. And yeah. from here on out, TNG is about a family. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I can see that for sure. The warp scene really touched me. Also, I was like, damn, God damn it. Michael Dorn's so yeah. good in this show. It's not fair. Yeah. It's at least an A, if not an S. I would give it, I would argue for an S tier because of how, how much it pushes the show forward in its character yeah. dynamics. I'm down for that. What is the actor who plays Jeremy doing today? How is old is he? What's going on? I would like to know about this. Where is Show Me the Child? Gabriel Damon is the actor's name. He's 46 Jeremy. now. Jeremy. 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 Oh, he's done some other stuff. Jeremy. Oh, my God. Gabriel Levet. Gabriel Damon Lavezzi is an American real estate broker and former actor. Oh, he Jeez. got into real estate. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. F tier, F tier. F tier, F tier. Just kidding. All Let's right. Um, episode six. Yeah. Yeah. The booby trap. Booby, or booby trap. trap. Interesting title. Uh huh. What are we doing here, guys? <laughs> mm. Because it's kind of a silly name for an episode where there's some kind of trap, but also like Jordy has a computer girlfriend. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Jordy's sad date is the booby trap at the beginning. And his his computer. Is this the computer girlfriend? Yeah, this is computer girlfriend. Yeah, that's the other booby trap. It's it's kind of. Come on, guys. Really corny. But that another speaking of like, oh, they made this like canonical is now people tease Jordy for fucking being in love with the thing uh-huh. love with the engine i feel bad for my boy treat my boy better it's so harsh guys like the fact that this episode is genuinely like jordy going i don't know like if i'm ever gonna find somebody who i fit with and who like i can who understands my work environment and he finds that in a virtual woman and they don't play it for a joke and then mm-hmm. it she at the end is like you'll always have me i'm in the engine and he's like okay i love you and so the joke, I'll probably like the meme in the fandom is like, oh my God, Jordy loves the engine. But like, mm-hmm. that is touching also, guys. There's something mm-hmm. kind of sweet about that, I think. So yeah. I felt bad. It's a goofy ass episode though, honestly. 
Yeah, it's it's goofy. It doesn't do computer girlfriend as well as when Riker had a computer girlfriend. Um yeah. and it's a little strange. Um but I, I think, you know, it's nice to have Jordy have a plot where it's like, look, you can just be yourself and like that's great. You don't have to put something on or try too hard to impress someone. If you just are who you are, you'll meet somebody who is yeah. a good fit for you, even if she's like a dead rocket scientist in your computer brain or whatever. Mm. Um, there's also like <laughs> weird nostalgia in the other half of the plot for the early days of aviation. And there's this strange resolution where like Jordy and the doctor and the computer are trying to figure out how to get the computer to fly the ship through this asteroid belt and out of this gravity well or whatever this trap is that's happening to them. Um, and the resolution is like, ah, the computer can't do it. Only if we turn off all the stuff and have Picard do it by hand, then we can get out of here because mm. human intuition. And I don't that just rang really hollow to me because it's like it felt egotistical almost. Yes. Or like kind of like a Luddite resolution to this thing. You know, nothing is gonna be as good as a pilot and a single rudder or a, you know, a single propeller or whatever. Okay. I don't think that's true. Actually. I think that's actually not correct, but mm -hmm. sure. Why not? It was kind of cute, but like a little, a little strange. The, this is one was partly written by Ron Roman. It's his only writing credit. So I can't point fingers and be like, this is the guy who also did X, Y, and Z. It's like, they got a one-off writer who did, a, who clearly was into like old aviation and stuff and was like back in our day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nothing but good old fashioned manpower could take care of something like this. Yeah, it just awful. felt like a classic, one of these classic weird things I don't always love about TNG, which is like the boomer nostalgia that's happening yeah. here, or like the greatest generation nostalgia, or whatever generation this is that's doing that. Right. Um, it just makes the show feel like dated in a strange way. I think that brings it down to a C for me. Yeah, I think that's that right. Aspect. I think that's right. Definitely enjoyable. Guinan being like, yes, I can tell you I'm a woman because they're talking about uh -huh. like gender and romance. And I was like, oh, Guinan gets to be a little bit horny this season, you guys. It's kind of fun. Yeah. This season did more Guinan and that was that was correct. That was the right choice. Absolutely. And they do continue the somewhat problematic trope of her just like being the most the second or the, the different kind of like empathetic person. Like she just solves the plot for people because she's the wise yeah. old black woman. And yeah. it's like uh, I still feel weird about that, but the show continues to do it and doesn't really comment on it at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, I, this one's important for understanding the memes of like George, Jordy loving the engine. But at the same time, you actually watch the episode and you're like, Oh, that was, I get why you get, how you get there. Yeah. That's kind of sweet actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So now we're on to episode seven, which is called the enemy. Oh my God. So thank you so much to everybody in the chat community for not telling us that Andreas Gonzalez uh -huh. is in this show. And if you did, then we forgot. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was mentioned at some point and we forgot. Or at least they didn't tell us what episode it was in. Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, episodes, actually, because this isn't the only one. Spoiler alert. Uh, Andreas Katsoulis, for those who don't know, played Jakar on Babylon 5, an amazing, mm -hmm. amazing character. Yeah. And if you're wondering what Jakar is like, it's exactly like this guy. <laughs> it's like pitch 
you know, word for word, inflection for inflection. Yes. He's doing a Jakar here. And what's exciting is that this episode also, speaking of the chats, a greater community is doing a sort of take on enemy mine. Uh, uh-huh. Where like, what if the human or the humanoid and the alien were stuck on a planet together and had to help each other? Right. Uh, Shout out to the Spit and Polish podcast where we covered that movie with the folks over there. Yes. Great podcast. We did. Any, we watched Enemy Mind. Thanks to them. Great film. Uh, I don't think this, ep- this, sh- this episode can get as weird as Enemy Mind gets. Uh, <laughs> Who like, could? <laughs> Who possibly could? No way. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, this is a character first episode and science fiction is informed by the needs of the characters, which is what I really appreciate. Uh, my one qualm was that the sort of implication is after these guys get off the planet because Jordy, you know, loses his sight and the other guy doesn't know how to fix uh, the ship. Um, is that like, mm. oh, maybe the Romulans and us could get along if we were just if we were just nice to each other, which is like a very like liberal 1980s way of wrapping up a plot like this. Right, 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 right. Like it's just a couple of bad eggs that are making war happen. But if we were really helpful to each other, then there would be no war. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. there's more yeah. to it than because <laughs> enemy mine if i remember correctly kind of acknowledges like larger structural problems at yes. the end of it um whereas this it's like ah oh, shucks well it's a good thing so we different. got along because we we see andreas katsoulis as the same romulan guy episodes later once again in conflict with the enterprise and so it's like mm-hmm. okay i guess that didn't work out so great exactly oh well um so yeah it it was kind of a fun episode for us, but because of those connections, but it doesn't really like do much for the show. I think it's a high B. You want to know one other fun chats connection? Oh yeah. What do you got? Uh, one of the writers on this episode, this is David Kemper. second and second of two writing credits on TNG is David Kemper of Farscape fame. Oh my God. Is season three where the Farscape writing team cut their teeth. That's fantastic. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, he's got no more TNG upsets though. So, oh, you said there B is something. The enemy? Yes, B is in basic. There uh, is something about like Farscape is also about empathy and like learning to work with other groups of people, uh, as is most yeah. sci-fi. But in Farscape definitely does this sort of thing way better, where it's yeah. like I'm stuck with my adversary and we're gonna understand each other. Like Farscape does that super super well with yes. John Crichton and, and Scorpius down the line. So mm-hmm. just watch Farscape. Just watch Farscape. You yeah. just got to watch it. Sorry, guys. You really do. Um, before you do that, though, let's talk more about episodes. we got The Price up next. The Price is right as we get to 308. Um, Whoo, this one. So this is the one where we were watching while we were while we were meal prepping and I was like, Hey, look, sometimes it happens where Deanna Troy gets a crush on like a new guy. Next scene, the guy, uh, is like pulling her hair back in her office and forcibly kissing her. And it's like, what the hell is happening? This is really uncomfortable. So is, is this the negotiator know. who like has empathy powers or something or no? Is that something? Else yeah. Like? He's like a betazoid or part betazoid or something. He's got empathy powers and he, you know, it's tough. My, my opinion on this episode is complicated because I think where 
it gets to with him and Deanna Troy is interesting. Uh, this idea of like, there's this guy who understands this part of myself that nobody else does this empathy powers thing. And I think he's so great. I feel this connection to him and I then feel like I can't trust him because he uses his powers more selfishly than I do. And I'm not sure quite what to do about that. Like on paper, it's great. Um, and I think it's an interesting Deanna Troy episode, probably one of the more interesting, like I have a crush on a random guy ones. Yes. But the way that they direct or this guy chooses to act like I'm seducing you is super uncomfortable and bad. Three and notes I, I have on this episode. Like yeah. Agreed. Uh, the Ferengi B plot is fine. I think that they got better at writing the Ferengi this season. Not much better, but a mm -hmm. little bit better. They're less racist now. They're kind of just like annoying got joke characters. Uh, there is an infamous scene in this episode where Crusher and Deanna do yoga, which is another one that was spoiled for me. And oh my God, why did they film this scene? I, I mean, I know why, but like, I don't know. <laughs> this is illegally horny. They're in spandex and they're doing like expositional dialogue while in like spandex doing fake yoga stretches. It's fucking sucks, dude. Like, come on, let these actresses just like be themselves, please. Just let yeah. them look normal. Don't do this. It's really funny, but also come on, guys. I know what you're doing. Um, yeah, that that there's yeah. that, and that was just weird. And and I think that ultimately, yeah, the Troy stuff brings this episode down a lot for me. And the, also, there's even a joke about like this is where they introduce the running gag that Troy loves chocolate ice cream, which is a like very like gendered thing to be like, what makes Troy happier than anything else? Oh well, she loves ice cream. Mm -hmm. And it gets a fine character detail as someone who also loves ice cream myself, but like just like weird. And um, yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed like the, the, the enterprise as a place where like economic uh, dealings happen. Like we have to get all these different factions on here to basically yeah. bid on a wormhole. It's kind of, yeah, that, idea. yeah, that was fun. I, I like, I like negotiations where you can have kind of like joke negotiators who are just there for, uh, a point of view that would be uh, like not that good if they were the only characters there. But when you have like four different people at the table, you can have, you know, some people being goofy in their own way. That's always mm -hmm. fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't like the Ferengi ever. Yeah. Can I say that? You can say that. I feel like they're never like, I'm never happy. Semitism is happening. And they're also not interesting or funny or scary or anything. I think the actors playing them are having fun and can like bring some interesting aspects to them. But like, yeah, yeah, it's mostly like there's an episode later where the entirety, but it's basically subbing in a traditional 1940s action serial plot. And instead of a like funny Middle Eastern guy, they put a funny Ferengi guy in there. And it's like, guys, is this just becoming your stand in for like the yeah. comedic foreigner? Like what's going on? Right. I don't feel equipped to talk much more about that because I'm not like well versed in the in like why and how they wrote the Ferengi. I've from what I've heard recently, actually, there are like other later Star Trek races that are more clearly analogous to uh uh to like Jewish stereotypes, but uh and are handled very differently. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what they're going for with the Ferengi. I just feel like I see them and I go, Yep, they're gonna do something annoying and they're gonna lie to everyone and they're gonna be horny. Okay, moving on, please. It's whatever. Um, but it sounds like that brought that this down for you. So where do you, where does it feel in your heart of hearts that we should rank the price? 
Um, I don't know. This to me feels like the script had potential and then the way it was brought to the screen was like not cool. So it's a C for me. I don't think it's a D tier episode because I think actually where the Troy and this guy stuff goes, there's something worthwhile there for like Mm -hmm. Troy's development and for her to stake a claim about like what her philosophy is about empathy powers and like when and how and why she uses them. But I think the execution of the episode overall is pretty um, bad and lame. So see for me, I'll, I'll give you that for sure. Um, we can we can blast through a couple of these faster now because um, I really want to get to yesterday's Enterprise, obviously. Um, <laughs> the Vengeance Factor. This is a classic what if Riker was dangerously horny episode. Very simple. Uh, there are a race of people who have a elder who comes onto the ship uh, trying to recruit these people who like branched off from their faction after a like culture war and a faction war that they had many years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. the diplomat's assistant turns out to be a, the last surviving member of the enemy faction. And so she's trying to assassinate them and end this culture war. Uh, what it actually turns into is Riker is down bad for a young woman. And it's just kind of him being like, Oh no, I fell in love with a evil woman now. Uh, mm-hmm. and she's ageless and they take care. They like sh- blast her in the stomach. And then Picard's like, the wars are over Utah. And it's like, okay guys he did it but also is that breaking the prime directive even though it was on your ship because he just ended a war that wasn't for your people but eh. mm-hmm. it's pretty mid yeah 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 this <laughs> i after the previous episode i was trying to get amanda to guess who my favorite character was and i guess i talked about Riker a little bit too much and she was like is it it's him and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Riker's pretty cool. And then when it got to the scene, <laughs> the scene where uh, he's talking to what's Utah? her name, Utah, yeah, and she's like, "Oh, I'll I'll serve you or whatever." And he's like, "No, no, no. I prefer equals in love. Like I, you know, want us to both be doing stuff to each other." Ew, uh, ew. I was like, <laughs> "See, Riker's pretty. We stand a woke king." And my girlfriend was like. That is an incredibly low bar. (laughs) (laughs) Dead and true. My favorite line in this whole episode is when she, I don't remember what the food is. I called it spoo in my notes, but she's Uh, like, I can make spoo. And he goes, ah, spoo a la Yuna. (laughs) He's like so proud (laughs) that he came up with that term. (laughs) It's like, Riker, you didn't say anything there, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he whatever. I, I don't I don't have any strong feelings about it to be honest. It's a it's a hard C. Yeah. Right down the center. Yeah. As we approach the halfway point of the season. Yeah, so it's at this point that I'm like, season three, like this is the one <laughs> that everybody was talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really waiting for like a great episode. Um and then this one's pretty good. It yeah. doesn't quite get me there, but it's the best one in a little while. And wouldn't you know it? You know who wrote this one? The Defector, episode 10? Ronald D. Moore. Ronald D. Moore, of course. The freaking savior of Star Trek TNG season three. 
yeah he definitely he put his whole uh writer writers i don't want to say writer writer usi or whatever people say he put his whole chest into this <laughs> Ew, gross no he put his whole his whole uh, chest into this episode uh. it's fun the Enterprise grants asylum to a defector from the Romulan Empire who claims to have vital information concerning a renewed Romulan offensive. So season-long plot renewed. Andres Katsoulis is back. Uh, the defector is interesting. Picard is honestly, earnestly thinking about what happens when war starts, and he tells Data in one scene, amazing scene, he's like, Data, you are an android. You are going to outlive most of us. Write down everything that's happening because historians are going to need mm. to know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that really worked for me. Yeah. That's that's another like Ronald D. Moore kind of thing is like, okay, well, what happens around war? What happens around conflict? Well, somebody has to write the write, take the notes down for history books. Right. Um and you know, more good Klingon more good Romulan acting. Uh I like the idea of a defector and why he wants to defect. It's a very talky episode, but for me it's a high B if or a low A. Yeah, this feels like an A to me. I I think it's a really cool plot to have this Romulan defector. Like it's really moving when he describes why he defected from the Romulan empire and the Federation folks are yelling at him like, you're a traitor. Like, well, you don't get to do this or that. And he's like, look, Picard, are you a father? Like the reason that I did this, the reason that I defected um, is to save the future of the Romulans. And I love the line where he says, my daughter will grow up believing her father a traitor, but she will grow up. I was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. That's so good. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, the return of Andreas Katsoulis is great in this one. This is a pretty good, pretty good episode, I think. I'm comfortable giving it an A. I think it's, I think it's A-worthy. Number A with a bay? I don't know. Um, a with a bay. Um, I have a lot of notes about The Hunted, but in my memory, this isn't the best episode. But I have a lot of notes. Mostly excitement that James Cromwell is here in an episode about a super soldier who is uh, shunned by his planet and wants basic human rights and has refused them because of uh, bigotry and worries about power imbalance. Uh, I think politically this episode is super fascinating and again feels like a big like Cold War refugee sort of plot or something. Mm, uh-huh, uh-huh. It also feels like every Dime Store sci-fi novel I've read uh, where like, yeah. oh, this person, like, why are they so strong? Why are they so powerful? Oh, because he's a Marine. Oh, fuck. Like, um, I thought the reveals were great and I love James Cromwell looking young with a crispy little beard and a little mustache <laughs> thing. Mm-hmm. That's super good to me. Yeah. Uh, he's he He brings a lot to it. Yeah, I mean, what I'll say is that Crusade did the Super Soldier episode better decades later, <laughs> I but <hate> you. <laughs> this, one's, this one's fine. The confrontation at the end with the Super Soldiers and the Prime Minister is fantastic. And then Picard is like, what are we going to do? And he's like, you know, guys, we have this thing called the Prime Directive. We actually don't have to figure this out for you. You guys can do whatever you want. Yeah. And like, they've never done that. They've never honestly just been like, ah, it's actually not our problem. We did our part of the mission. They, they've Which, done it before where they'll, where they'll use the prime directive at the right moment to do what they want and like give a middle finger to the other side. Um, but this was an especially aggressive one that I thought was fun. To, to get to use the prime directive to to just leave, though. Yeah. Like, well, we're not picking for you guys what to do here, but we've laid out all the evidence that these guys deserve rights. Uh, 
Jeff McCarthy this is my trivia about the episode. Jeff McCarthy here is the one playing Roga Danar, the defector. Um, mm-hmm. He's got one of those faces that you're like, who is this guy? And I looked him up. He's a pretty standard TV actor. He's got a lot of roles. Um, you might know his voice as the voice of Michigan J. Frog from the WB and Looney Tunes. Oh, okay. Yeah, pretty weird. Can I say something uh, from the Memory Alpha trivia trivia here? Yeah, what do you got? This episode was an allegory to U.S. veterans of the Vietnam War integrating back into American society. That's why it feels like the Forever War. That actually totally tracks. Yeah. Yep. That tracks 100%. The fact that he's got the military vest, the fact that they're like, you guys built us up to fight this war and then didn't build us any method to reintegrate. That's totally bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. This episode, and there was a previous one we talked about where it was like, uh you know the conflict is the enterprise trying to beat something that blew up a ship a thousand years ago and like they're hubris mm-hmm. and thinking that that would be easy this episode is also what you get to watch dagar like infiltrate the enterprise effortlessly and how inter- how like surprisingly easy it is to do that and it kind right. of like humbled the enterprise in a fun way yeah but um i think this is a high b low a for me yeah what do you think uh i'd give it a b yeah okay it's right on that cusp, though. It's 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 solid. Uh, next is Deja Q, the Q episode of the season, y'all. Did you remember Q? Uh, I lied. That's not the next episode. I don't have notes about the next episode. Yeah, Deja uh, Q is the thirteenth episode. Fuck. You you did them out of order. You're right because I yes I went back and wrote. I didn't think I only I took high ground. Oh no, I did. I just put you're right. I put them in. No, I even so wrote them this, in my notes in the right order. Sorry. sorry. This one politically is fascinating and ultimately bad <laughs> you're talking about the high ground the high ground yeah that's yes. right yep. so season three episode 12 the high ground essentially the plot of it is dr crusher is abducted by uh terrorists is how the episode styles them um who are struggling for freedom on their planet and they want to like involve the federation to make a statement basically Mm-hmm. Um, so they're holding Crusher hostage. She befriends uh, the like leader of this terrorist cell who has a lot of quotes about, you know, we're on the right side of this. Uh, Finn is his name. Uh, there's this really stupid exchange where he says, this is a war for independence and I'm no better or different than your own George Washington. <laughs> it's the thing that this guy <laughs> says. <laughs> Um, Crusher says Washington was a military general, not a terrorist. Finn says the difference between generals and terrorists is the only difference between winners is only the difference between winners and losers. losers. If you win, you're called a general. If you lose, um, Crusher says you're killing innocent people. So there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, and then it ends with the boy putting down the fucking gun shut up yeah like he gets shot and then one of the people in his cell is gonna go shoot the authority person and then puts his gun down and then Riker's like maybe it all it just takes one person to put put down their gun and the cycle of violence ends and it's like no it's a lot more complicated than that and like oppression is a thing <laughs> that we have mm-hmm. to do something about so um this is so before I give my rating, uh, it sounds like all of the writers were unhappy with this episode. Ronald D. Moore described it as, quote, an abomination. It's our one terrorist show. We didn't have anything interesting to say about terrorism except that it's bad and Beverly gets kidnapped. Ho hum. They take her down to the caves and how we have a nice big preachy speech about terrorism and freedom, fighting, insecurity, forces versus society. 
It's very unsatisfying, and the staff was not happy with it. Mm. And even Michael Pillar went on to say, "What was our point? What was the point where the the what was the point about terrorism in this epi- in this this show? Was it the point where the boy puts down the gun and says maybe the end of terrorism is when the first child puts down his gun? This was effective in the context of the episode, but it's certainly not a statement that provides any great revelation. You must yeah. be prepared to say something new about social issues, which makes me really optimistic about like what the writers are thinking, like." They get it. It's just that sometimes the reality of how you make an episode is like, uh, it just didn't come together. So, right, that right. was good for me to to real to hear. But yeah, that that know. does help a bit. Um, yeah, I think this might be a, this is a low C, high D for me. I think, hmm. yeah, that's an interesting one. I think what gives me low C is that the part where Crusher is like. I have to be a good doctor. It's my duty to stay here, even though like I don't. Uh, it's dangerous for me to be here. Is like pretty interesting, and also Picard punches a guy in the face, which I I I just love that. Yeah, and the guy like draws pictures of Crusher, which is kind of fun. Yeah, they actually had those. Those were good. Beverly, Beverly. Let's give it a low C. Okay. Just a really no, no D or F episodes in the season so far yet. Yet. Uh, is it time to talk about the Q episode? Yeah, let's talk about the Q episode. Uh, I didn't hate it. Yeah. Didn't he already get ejected from the Q continuum? If he did, then they didn't know about it yet. Like, the crew didn't know. Okay. That's what I think well, happened. What was the last Q episode? That was the one where he showed them the Borg? Yes. Okay. That was the last one. Got it. I, I wrote my notes. I can't remember if I like or dislike you episodes. I feel like I waffle on that every time. They're fine. You, you I, I feel like in my head I should either be saying, oh, I love every Q episode or I hate every Q episode. And I, these are actually simply fine. This is also the episode where we get the Picard. Speaking of many Picard memes that came out from this season, Picard covering his face in shame was when, uh, <laughs> when Q goes, in all the universe, you're the closest thing I have to a friend, Jean-Luc. Picard's like, uh, and like that's my favorite stuff in this episode is people being like, uh, go away, Q, please go away. We hate you. Like, I Uh like Q as an annoying force way more than I like the Ferengi as an annoying force. Agreed. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I've softened on Q just because I think every time Q shows up, it's like the magic is a little less annoying, and it's more just like I'm a super powerful space entity. Uh, and the guy playing Q is just having the time of his life. I mean, you can't fault him for that. He's he's loving every minute of it. John and I'm Delancey. here for it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It, this one was fine. No, no bad feelings about it. I want to give this one a B because Q's spandex pants leave nothing to the imagination. Uh, I have more. It's not just that. I have more. Hold on. Works for me. <laughs> all right fair enough fair uh, enough he says to Worf very clever Worf eat any good books lately which is the best this I have ever fucking heard <laughs> in my life uh, Q realizing he has back pain for the first time is amazing yeah. he's realizing he's now 30 <laughs> it's so funny uh, Guinan stabbing him while he orders his 10 Sundays. she's like no stop you're annoying <laughs> don't order 10 Sundays because he doesn't know he knows he's hungry and he knows he wants food to make him feel better but he doesn't know what to order. So Data's like, well, uh-huh. you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, Troy always gets Sundays when she's uh, sad. And so he orders 10. And then he's like, I don't want them anymore. I'm not hungry. 
Uh, and like the sadness that he feels when he realizes that Data is a better human than him. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. great. Yeah, his friendship with Data in this one is is charming. I do like that. And it ends with him giving Data laughter. Yeah. Which is kind of cool and yeah. eerie when he's like cracking up and everyone's like, the fuck? <laughs> Someday Data's going to say a contraction and the whole show is going to end. Yeah. I'm scared about that. I think it's a B. I, I, have, I agree, that? yeah. With it, yes. I'll give you more Cs, don't worry. We're basically in B or C territory for this whole season, which I think is accurate to how I felt. Yeah, it's like super middling. And this next episode, A Matter of Perspective, episode 14, continues to be middling, I will say. What if they did a Rashomon? Yeah, look, we did a commentary chats of the actual movie Rashomon on our Patreon a few months ago, and there nobody's done it nobody's done it that good this this is not like any different or better than rashomon the movie the rashomon part of this episode is terrible because none of the other interpretations make any legitimate sense there's no part of me yeah. that thinks that Riker is gonna go like come here toots i'm gonna hug you and i'm gonna have sex with you i don't care about your husband like that's right. not Riker. No part of me believes that that's you. The Rashomon thing only works when all different interpretations of it make some sort of sense. That's the whole point of Rashomon is that right. this is, is subjective. Or but, or when you could plausibly believe that someone's lying. But Troy is like, well, all of you are telling your version of the truth. And it's like, what? What Riker said and what she said, those things can't coexist. Like, those are completely different events. Right. So. And it makes us it makes us confront the idea that maybe Riker could use his uh, authority in the Federation to like do whatever he wants and to like assert dominance over people, but not to the yeah. point where he would blow up a spaceship. Like, uh-huh. it's way too absurd. The recreation on the holodeck is a really cool idea, uh, but I don't think that this episode goes anywhere. It's a non issue. It's a non-starter to me. Yeah, maybe there's a you know a more modern show that does this and like actually genuinely asks these questions about Riker and like, is he predatory? It it, does he like pressure women or, you know, I think those things are, would definitely be valid things to ask of his Mm -hmm. character in like a more serious show. But in the confines of this show, it just feels, I don't know, like such a departure from the norm that it's like kind of hard to, believe that they're genuinely doing that or treating that uh as a genuine possibility yeah exactly and i think that this episode is just a bottle it's a it's a money saving it's a bottle episode it takes place entirely on the recreation holodeck uh you sometimes you got to save money in the middle of your season i totally get it but it's not very interesting right right right. yeah and uh (laughs) what is it i think it's a c yep that's a hard c Uh, and then we get to another type of episode. Hmm. So Magellan. Yeah. Can you play my captain's log for this next episode? I certainly can. Captain's log, October 6th, 2022. I'm here talking about yesterday's Enterprise, a well-regarded episode, and for good reason. Who would have thought that Tashiar would come back in such an exciting and engaging way? Most particularly, I want to focus on the uh, mystery behind this one and also just the fact that uh, you think it's about one thing and it's also about two things at once. 
TNG doesn't do enough like that. And by that, I mean, like, there's the uh, Enterprise being a warship thing and also being, like, in a fucked up dimension. And then also the we have to save the Enterprise C plot. And I think those two are blended really well. So uh, let's talk about it. Cool. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate that, pal. <laughs> uh, this time I didn't do any games where I tried to talk to myself deliberately because I knew I would be wrong. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's 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 a very much hyped episode for a reason. It's considered one of the best episodes of TNG. Was it overhyped for you? Did you like it? Uh, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that it was supposed to be amazing. So I got to just watch it, and it was amazing. Oh my god, though, dude, <laughs> this episode was really good. Are you guys ki- just can the show please do stuff like this more often? It's so. Like right. even beyond the the beautiful redemption of uh of of Tasha Yar, beyond oh God, that, amazing. which is like amazing, beyond that, just the actual premise of Guinan is our guiding force as the regular Enterprise that we're used to is mm-hmm. in a twisted version where it's a warship and Tasha is still alive, mm-hmm. and at the same time, what if the Enterprise C came back through a time portal and we had to send it back in a way where it wouldn't explode again? That's so mm-hmm. interesting. Like it's juggling a masterful amount of plot lines and all right. of them managed to work together and like synchronize at the end. And I mean, holy crap. It also just like looks incredible. I think this, this set for the war version of the enterprise. Yeah. The creepy dark version of the enterprise. Yeah. looks so good. I think the performances so are amazing. Not every, you don't get to do this very often, right? You don't get to redeem a character death like this. And yeah, yeah. Not enough can be said about how, how valuable that is to like, to bring back, uh, well, I'm sorry, D- Denise Crosby. There we go. I was trying to remember the actress's name. And to have a character seriously be like, Guinan is like, hey, you're dead. How did I die? Oh, you died in a really stupid way, actually. It was really right. sad. Right, for them to acknowledge that and say, like, actually, it wasn't meaningful enough. Yeah, you didn't die a meaningful death. And so she's like, okay, I'm going to die. I want to die a meaningful death. It's awesome. Really yeah. awesome. Yeah. No, this is an incredible episode. I mean, also from the time travel logic of it, like there's a lot of times where we'll sort of, you'll see a time travel plot where someone will come from the past to the future and the future will, or someone will go from the future to the past and they'll be like, oh, we've got to fix this before we fuck up the timeline. Um, And then you're like, wait, but when does that happen? It's kind of arbitrary. Like the whole back to the future thing of like, my skin is fading away. Uh, why didn't that just happen instantaneously? And in this one, as soon as there's something that's messing with the flow of time, immediately the present day is different. So there's not this kind of weird thing of the normal enterprise characters are like, we have to send you back before the timeline gets messed up. It's already messed up. And then they figure that out in the context of this new timeline, which is super trippy to watch um, and feels a lot more. It's easier for me to suspend my disbelief for a time travel story like that, um, where it's like things are already broken and we're having to put them back right as opposed to preventing them from going wrong. Um, And, you know, so amazing that like Tasha Yar is symbolic of what we are sacrificing in order to set things right, basically, um, which makes it feel not only is it redemptive for Tashiyar's character, but it also makes it feel a lot more 
vital for us because if she wasn't there, it'd be easy enough to say like, yeah, you know, send it back. It's cool. Right. Whatever. That's where they're supposed to go. Yeah. I kind of like these people. Oh, this one guy, I've seen him and stuff. He's pretty cool. He has a good friendship with Tasha Yar. That's fun. But Mm -hmm. for you to know, setting things back means that she has to die again uh, in order to be in like the better timeline is really, really sad and affecting, I think. Um, and I think the other thing that this episode does brilliantly is it starts with Worf and it starts with, uh, Guinan talking to Worf and being like, Hey man, like you could date a human girl. Some of them could take it. Worf's like, I don't know. I'm not so sure. And you think it's going to be like a fun episode where Worf gets to date people or whatever. Yeah. But instead when you're flung into the alternate timeline and Worf isn't there on the enterprise because the Federation is at war with the Klingons and they're losing. You also understand like, it's not just a fun thing that Worf is here on the enterprise. Like he's here on the enterprise because his people got badly attacked by the Romulans and the Klingons are like allied against the Romulans with the Federation. Um, And that was a, tenuous like tipping point in history Worf's presence here is the result of a lot of death and like destabilization of his society so like for him it's not a cute story of does Worf get a girlfriend or not it's like he's grieving a civilization's decline you know um and that was that was a lot to take in also to be with him at the beginning of the episode. And then he's just mysteriously gone through the whole thing. And then he's back at the end. Uh, I thought that was really affecting too. Continuing the idea that, that the crew of TNG is a family and that they're growing stronger as a family. It's like, what happens when you take away one of them? It's the same thing that when you take Worf out, the plot feels like it's missing something. And when you took, uh, when you took uh, Tasha Yar out, it's like, oh, we didn't think that we were missing something, but now in hindsight, that was a real person in the context of the show. And yeah. she like helped us make things happen and was like useful to our storytelling. Uh, but yeah, to your point, like I just think um, Worf is incredible mm-hmm. as in, and like they are doing like higher than high level things with his storyline as it's developing through the season, even in yeah. the background of like an episode that's not about him. Yeah. Yesterday's Enterprise is a firm S. There's no arguing it. I don't know yeah, what to tell you. For sure. For sure. I can't I couldn't believe how much I liked this one. I was like, Yeah, it's gonna be overhyped, like whatever, yesterday's Enterprise, like uh it's whatever. It's worth the hype for sure. Yeah. And it's a major turning point in season three. I think the back half of the season is way better than the front half. I agree. Like I this agree episode 100%. forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we're about to hit a string of bangers. So Yeah. Let's I have a captain's log about this next one. Oh, yeah. I'll play it for you. Thank you. Captain's log, start date 5.34 p.m., October 8th, 2022. This is my first captain's log of season three, because prior to this point, I haven't felt particularly motivated to speak about my opinions on these episodes, uh, and also because I've been using the show largely as a kind of background chores show. <laughs> um, there have been episodes prior to this point that have entertained me or that I found fun. I even liked Deja Q to a certain extent, even though it felt like I was having deja vu while watching it. 
but um these these previous two episodes yesterday's enterprise and the offspring both i think did what season three was not able to do so far which is present something that felt new to me in the realm of of tng i think the previous episodes of the season felt like they were rehashing plots that i'd seen before but these two episodes um, explored kind of new riffs on some of the sci-fi tropes that TNG explores, the themes that it explores, presenting them in, in new packages. Um, and, you know, I, I wasn't crying at, at Data saying goodbye to his daughter. You were, so... I was? Uh, no, we were both crying at that. Yeah, we were. Anyway, <laughs> I felt pretty moved, and I wanted to say something about it. Magellan out. Thanks, Madge. <laughs> so let's talk about the offspring um oh my gosh what a great data episode are you kidding me i i had no idea i saw somebody put i like my friend has has been watching tng not with us but just like separately and they posted just a screenshot from this one like oh my god data has a son that's so awkward and they that was them at the beginning of the episode when they were like picking mm. a form picking a form and it was like oh the green alien that's gonna be data's son and that's the thumbnail for the episode two on Paramount. So I was like, oh, this is going to be like a dumb, like, what if data? Right. I, I read the summary. I was like, this is going to be stupid. Okay, here we go. And they put their whole heart and soul into this one and made a really dumb premise, really heartfelt and really thought provoking. Yeah. And telling a, a potent story about parenthood and why we have children. Wow. Mm. Wow. 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 What can I say? Hey, guys, I made a son. Just like starting an episode on like where's data been and he's like guys I actually I actually made a whole child here he is or they are um, speaking to that by the way when they were picking forms for for uh, data's child uh, there was gonna be a lot more about like gender neutrality in this and some of those things got scrubbed out unfortunately mm-hmm. um, and especially about like sexuality and the idea that uh, lol data's eventual daughter uh, was going to be like introduce the sexuality in a non-heterosexual heteronormative way yeah little trivia in one of the scenes with Guinan tutoring lol about sexuality a script line was changed to turn a hetero explanation into a gender neutral version Guinan was supposed to start telling lol when a man and a woman are in love and in the background there would be men and women at tables but Whoopi Goldberg refused to say that and she said the mm. show is beyond that it should be when two people are in love so nice Here's the, but then here's the kicker. It was decided on set that the background of the scene would show a same-sex couple holding hands, but quote somebody ran to a phone and made a call to a production office, and that was nixed. Producer, uh, producer David Livingston came down and made sure that didn't happen. Fuck no, you, David Livingston. Fuck you. Oh my god. That's what it's supposed to be like. That's where it feels like, oh, this is like almost really modern and like beautiful. And then like, er, we got to swerve and make it like super heteronormative. Yeah. All the gender and sexuality stuff is busted in this one. It is. And it's a bummer because you can tell. You can tell that there was something brilliant in there. And what we got was still brilliant, but just like there was clearly a better script that was like pushed back. Right. Yeah. And thank God for Whoopi Goldberg fighting the good fight. Yeah. Lol. Amazing. That actress does great with this, with being a, a data, like with being an android, and what it's like having a positronic brain and how to develop personality. And I think the part that was most emotionally affecting for me was when Data quickly realizes, "Oh yeah, my child can actually learn faster than I can," mm-hmm. and she says contractions at like age thirteen, 
And he goes, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know if I should feel bad about this or I should be really proud. But wow, that's that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fantastic. And it works on the back of uh, of Data and on Lol, mostly. The rest of the crew is like reacting in very respectful ways, which I appreciate. But this mm-hmm. is uh, an opportunity for, A, Jonathan Frakes is, is the directorial debut, mm-hmm. which, you know, we talked in previous episodes about how like, other people, especially women, wanted to do directing like uh, Gates McFadden and were declined. Mm-hmm. But Frakes was kind of like like taught how to direct on the show. They gave him the opportunity to learn, which is like really bullshit. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's it's pretty well directed. I, I right. like this episode a lot. I thought it was excellent. Yeah. Um, it was also funny that uh, they make a point in the captain's log at the beginning to be like, Riker's away. He's not here right now. <laughs> and then he shows up halfway through the episode right after Law learns what kissing is so that she can like big plant a big smooch on him. And then he's like, whoa, 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 who are you? And then they do this gag where Data's like, what are your intentions with my daughter? It's just kind Amazing. of a, like a funny elaborate setup for that weird joke. Imagining Frank's like placing the camera and then running onto the set being like, okay. <laughs> yeah, all right, here I go. Um. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think this one, this episode does some nice stuff with Data's humanity by showing how more, how much more human Lol can be and how human Data is by caring for her and wanting to be a parent. Um, And she, like, feels uh, grief and love and Data is convinced that he doesn't feel love, but, like everything that he does in this episode shows that he does, you know, it's an Mm -hmm. interesting, an interesting uh, kind of humanistic episode in that way. Totally. Is this an S tier episode, Majon? I I think the like really fraught gender stuff deserves to uh, like be a penalty on this one. So I would keep it at a just for that reason. Yeah, I agree. Otherwise I would rank it because I, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, so I don't actually have a lot of notes about the next one, except uh, this is Sins of the Father, by the way, 317. Mm-hmm. This is like the my second favorite episode of the season. So good. So basically, Worf, we, we get a Klingon coming aboard the Enterprise who's here as part of an exchange program. They call back to the episode where Riker was on that Klingon ship. Yeah. Which is a great moment of continuity. Uh, you know, that sort of hallmark of season three being like, remember when we did this? Now we're going to do this. Um, and then that guy, that Klingon reveals himself to Worf to be Worf's long lost brother. Uh, and he tells Worf, look, they're trying to dishonor our father and claim that he was a traitor and that he was the reason that this attack that killed all these people that you survived happened, and we need to go back to the Klingon homeworld and challenge this insult to our honor. Um, and so they do that, and uh, Worf makes Kern, his brother, his chadich, which is like uh, kind of you're like my lawyer fighter guy uh, in this proceeding, which is kind of a fun role. And then the rest of the episode is this mystery thing about, well, what really happened and can we find evidence to clear Worf's father's name? His brother gets injured 
At one point, Picard becomes his Chadich, which is an incredible role for Picard because now Picard is like, don't fuck with my Klingon boyfriend. I will kill you. It's so cool. The Picard stuff in this episode is great on top of the Worf stuff being awesome. Um, And it ends up in this like smoky back room scene where the judge essentially says like, look, Worf's father is innocent, but we need a scapegoat because the real guy who did it is like really rich and we need to protect his family's honor. Otherwise the Klingon empire could fall into disarray. So sorry, but we got to execute Worf and Worf says, well, I'll gladly, not gladly, but like I will surrender my honor and essentially be like excommunicated from Klingon society. Um, for seven generations. Yeah. Uh, in order to, preserve the stability of the Klingon empire. Mm-hmm. You get this amazing scene where the, uh, the council like faces away from Worf and he's like, got like the the things on his belt removed or his, his sash removed. And he walks out proudly because being a Klingon is about being proud and, and keeping your honor. It's not about, you know, staying with this corrupt system and, I think this episode has a lot to say politically. I know that this episode is like uh, sowing the seeds of some huge, long-standing Klingon conflict stuff that's going to boil more and more and more. Uh, and yeah. and I mean, Michael Dorn's performance here is worth it's it's Emmy worthy for sure. Yeah, uh, just the like to realize that the society that like you've been talking about, like he's felt so like begrudgingly attached to, like he wants to be attached to it but feels distance, and now it, it's fundamentally corrupt. He's like, okay, what the fuck do I do now? What do I even, how do I do, how do I go from here? Right. Uh, and to see that he still feels like some sense of loyalty to it or some belief that it needs to be preserved at the expense of his own honor is yeah. like, says a lot about Worf's character and about his like idealism too for what the Klingon Empire could be, even in the face of these guys who are like unapologetically corrupt. Right. Yeah. So it's just a, it's a great, great episode. Yeah. On my like, do not skip list. If I were to make a fictional version of that, this would be on there since of the father Mm -hmm. S tier. Yeah. Uh, I agree. It's like a little convenient that Worf has a long lost brother, but yeah, you know, they don't do that that much in this show. So I'll give them a pass. They get a pass. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, from here, we kind of hit a string of like, okay episodes before we get back up to the good quality again. Yeah. Those three in a row, yesterday's enterprise, the offspring and sins of the father, like boom, boom, boom. Oh shit. The show is amazing. Wow. Best show ever. And then we get to episode 18. It's like, okay, it's it's still good, I guess. But, uh, allegiance is a weird, this is a kind of a weird episode. Interesting, I think, but not quite as good as those. Where essentially, go ahead. Yeah, Picard is abducted by like something out of 2001 A Space Odyssey, Mm -hmm. and he's sent into this chamber with these other prisoners and replaced with a fake Picard on the Enterprise. And what we learn is that he was uh, abducted by this race of aliens that are studying like the various leadership traditions and beliefs and structures of different alien societies. And they wanted to like see how Picard and these other aliens would do in their little scenario and see how the enterprise functions and 
uh, to them, it's just like kind of a little experiment. They don't even think about whether it's okay or not okay to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, uh, yeah, that's interesting from a sci-fi perspective. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I think the to me the best stuff of this episode is like the fake Picard doing funny things and seeing Patrick Stewart do them like singing a drinking song or like aggressively flirting with Beverly Crusher in his quarters or, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. It's like a fun episode for Patrick Stewart, I guess. He gets to play a lot of characters. That's another big thing in this season is people playing many versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with everything you said though. It's, it's solid. Uh, I felt weird about him flirting with Crusher because like part of what the imposter is doing is it's using Picard's like clout on the ship and his power on the ship to do whatever it wants and to kind of push the boundaries of that. Cause he asks somebody, he's like, Hey, I'm going to tell you guys a mission. Do you trust me? And they're like, yeah, obviously you're the captain. He's like, even if I'm going to tell you to go like somewhere where there's no mission clearly. And they're like, I mean, you tell us to do it. We're going to do it. And he's like, huh, interesting. And we, the viewer are supposed to be like, so I guess Picard can just do that. He could just he could say anything and the whole crew would do it. He could put this entire ship in danger. He has a lot of power. Uh, which is like, yeah, really interesting. But um I didn't feel particularly strongly about this one. I don't know why. I think this is just like coming after yeah. since the father. I was like, Yeah, okay. We've come down. Yeah, I think it suffers from being the first okay episode after a string of really great ones, but I think it's pretty entertaining. I, I would give it at least a B. Yeah. I'd yeah. give it a B as well. For Bingus. Be for Bingus. Go for Bingus. I really wanted to like Captain's Holiday more than I did. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, this one's goofy. It should I be much know, better guys. than it is. But like, so Picard is told to go on holiday. He's like basically forced to do it because we never get to go to that that vacation planet. And uh, instead what he gets is a beach planet where he is recruited by a woman named Vash to go on a swashbuckling adventure where they find an ancient future artifact uh and they enlist a suspicious ferengi man uh and they dig through some caves and they find out that it might not even be there and there's a lot of double triple quadruple crosses and then he comes Mm -hmm. back and they're like did you enjoy your vacation and he goes "Uh uh-huh and it seems like maybe Riker even knew or suspected that it was something weird or maybe not yeah the <laughs> I don't know. The, this is like a weird the plot is this strange melange of like a sort of noir thing of oh the femme fatale knows where the treasure is and like I trust her but I don't trust her and she tricks me but I'm okay with it because I tricked her. Yeah. And also there's people from the 27th century who are hanging out in my hotel room uh. and and we're dressed like uh, Laura Croft and Indiana Jones for some reason. I don't it's know. Because they're doing an adventure serial. They're they're doing the Mummy is what they're doing. Right, 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 right. And it's just like not a set of tropes that or like um, yeah, tropes or trappings that I'm particularly interested in exploring. So it feels very um, like kind of pat to me. It, there's nothing here that's super interesting. I mean, Picard's incredible amount of chest hair in this episode is interesting to me. But yes, otherwise, I, I agree with that. He's like half shirtless ninety percent of the time, and we're fe- we're fed so well by the TNG costuming crew, and I just appreciate that. 
Yeah. I I wish this show had the bravery to give us 45 straight minutes of Picard reading his book. Reading a book? Yeah, that cowards. That, they can't do it. That would be great. Uh, there's also this <laughs> funny, like, kind of uh, exchange where the reason that Riker's like, oh, he had a good time is because Picard has this exchange with this woman named Joe Val on the planet uh, where he's wearing this symbol and she's like trying to proposition him and he's like, huh, what's going on here? And she says, the Horgan is the Rizian symbol of sexuality. To own one is to call forth its powers. To display it is to announce you are seeking Jamaharon. And he mumbles to himself, Riker. She says, do you seek Jamaharon? And he says, I don't even know what it means. So Riker tricked him into buying a little symbol that's like, hey, I want to have sex. That's uh, based. I love that. Which, which is funny and classic Riker. And then Picard says, the Horgan is for a friend. She says, I see someone close to you. He says, that's right. Uh, she says, someone you love. And Picard says, I wouldn't go that far, which is such a tease. Come on. <laughs> you love Riker? Say it. Say it. He doesn't say it. That's sad. This episode would have been way better if you replaced Vash with Riker and Picard and Riker kiss on their oh, holiday. And then they don't tell God. anybody about it. They and agree, they sleep. Like, yeah. They sleep in a little cave and they finally consummate their relationship. What could have been? What could have been? I find Vash very like like 80s or late in 80s attractive. I'm just like, yeah, you're like a model. Like they probably clearly got some model or something to yeah. play Vash. Her performance is good. I'm not saying like in any way that being a model means you're not a good actor, but like she's just she's there to be beautiful, you know, and it's like uh -huh. and to make Picard awkward, which is funny, but yeah. I think it's a B because it's so entertaining, but like ultimately yeah. I came away from this one going, this is an episode I like in a different show. This is not an episode I like in TNG. Yeah. It doesn't really feel in character for Picard to like have a tryst with someone. It feels like he kind of deprives himself of that part of his character for the sake of duty. Like we've literally had episodes about that. Yeah. And so it feels like it kind of sells out like the one where he left his girlfriend in Paris or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. that one, it feels like it kind of sells that stuff short by saying like, yeah, but he has little sex ventures on the beach planet sometimes. <laughs> like, really? Okay. Picard. All right. Okay. Did you say so. Sure. Okay. So uh, I was, I wasn't a super big fan of Captain's Holiday. I think low B high C. I think it's definitely more entertaining because it's so weird than a lot yeah. of the C tier episodes, but it's not good. Agreed. Let's give it a B then. Okay, episode 20, Tin Man. You know how we said you guys should watch Farscape? You should really fucking watch Farscape. They literally... Okay, uh. to be fair, no story is entirely original. And as we said, a lot of people that wrote on TNG went on to create Farscape. But uh -huh. the similarities are bizarre uh. in this episode. This is about a, 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 a Betazoid who developed his, his telepathic abilities way early and so... He doesn't like sup, uh, suppress them at all. So they're super strong. He can read everybody's thoughts all the time. He's played by the mayor from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Good catch. He's also the judge from the movie Holes. Fun fact. Um, and he they have a living ship. Quote, a living ship. That's right, folks. Moya's here. It even looks like Moya, dude. It looks like a bean. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know this came first. It's just it's so It's just so strange to me. And even the conclusion is that he has to pilot the ship. Like, they have to install a pilot into the ship to, to free it from blowing people up. 
mm-hmm. is so Farscape that it like feels weird. Even the inside of the ship looks like Moya. Mm-hmm. What's going on there? I don't know. I, I I did think it was okay. I think that guy is pretty good, but this is another one in that archetype I said of weird guy has weird powers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There there are a few episodes this season where it's like, hey, there's this guy. Let's focus on him. And I think there's actually only one episode that does that well, and it's mm-hmm. not this one. This one's okay. Do we have anything to say before we give it a C? <laughs> no. I like his relationship with Data. Like, Data's the one person's mind he can't read, so he's friends with Data. But, like, Q's relationship with Data is better than this. This, like, kind of remixes little plot lines from other episodes of the season. Even his, like, kinship with Deanna Troy, because they both have Betazoid powers, is kind of a remix of the guy from earlier in the season. So this is a C to me, because I think it just sort of is rehashing some TNG Season 3 stuff. And it's mm. not like that much more interesting than the other examples of it. Agreed. Agreed. At this point, these are the episodes that I watched today. I woke up. Uh-huh. The first thing I, the first thing I did today was I put on Hollow Pursuits. Yes, same. I finished Tin Man and then put on Hollow Pursuits. So this is the one I was talking about, where it's an episode about some guy, and it's actually pretty good. I think this yeah. episode is great. Dwight Schultz carries a lot of this episode. If he was boring, then this episode would not work straight up. I never would have expected TNG to do this kind of a character study episode. This feels like kind of outside of TNG's normal wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And I, I love it. Basically, this is an episode about this engineer guy who has like social anxiety and has difficulty dealing with his superior officers so he retreats into holodeck fantasies to like cope with his life. And it's like pretty empathetic of that and like inhabits his perspective a bit. I mean, I think it also shows how what he's doing is pretty unhealthy and like kind of creepy at times. Um, but I thought this episode was was a really good character study that the show doesn't normally give itself the space to do. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's and it's what's matters so much is that coming back to the crew of the Enterprise being so likable this season, uh, they don't they are like frustrated by him and they make fun of him. They call him Broccoli, which is not a good nickname. Mm-hmm. And they keep doing it until Picard accidentally says it to Barclay's face and makes him feel bad. And then you have Troy being like, Okay guys, we can make fun of him all we want. And then they go into the holodeck and they see that he's made these versions of them and their first instinct is like, We gotta shut this all down. Mm-hmm. And freaking troy has the 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 foresight to be like that's gonna make things worse you guys like actually taking away his escapism is not gonna make him stop escaping it's gonna make him hate us way more mm-hmm. instead we need to examine why he's escape, why he feels the need to escape and why he can't just talk to us like we're literally offering ourselves up on a platter in a social context and this guy is not accepting it and that's not because he doesn't like us or because he's a bad person he just can't express his thoughts well and he feels unappreciated Mm -hmm. so it makes sense that like yeah if you're gonna have the holodeck as it's been introduced then like somebody is going to over rely on it and use it to like cope with their psychological issues and so they have a character that did that and they handle it really maturely even though there's like it's speaking of characters playing multiple versions themselves i think the barclay verse version of all of them are so funny 
like uh-huh. the, the empathy goddess, uh, Troy, uh, yeah, Wesley, who's just the a shitty piss boy. Or whatever. Yeah. Yep. The musketeers data as like a swashbuckler. Wesley as just a shitty piss boy. Uh, Riker <laughs> as like a foofy idiot who doesn't know how to do anything. Yeah. Who's uh, like a little shorter than normal or something. Yeah. Cause he talks about like, funny. A, Troy is like, you are very tall. <laughs> 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 to be fair, you are really tall. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I like this one. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. I'm happy that I'm just so happy that this didn't come out as a mean thing about like, oh, this bar yeah. fucking sucks. He's going to be like a, you know, uh, yeah. incel or whatever. It's like, no, you have to help people. You got to be nice to them to crack that shell. Mm-hmm. Is this an A or a high B? Um, I think it's an A. I think it's an A. I think especially what gets it to A is that they even tied the Barkley plot into saving the ship because he paid attention to the canisters that were left open. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I agree. That brings us to a very straightforward episode. It's called The Most Toys. Uh, in this one, a collector captures Data after he's on a routine uh, mineral ferrying mission uh, and collects him because he is a collector. He's a rich guy who uh, likes to collect unique things, and Data is the only android of his type. So the guy feels like he is owed. He, he, he deserves to have Data. Uh, I love we, sci-fi or comic book villains who their thing is like, I'm a collector and I want to collect you because you're so weird. People. Yeah. They use it to talk about like slavery and rebellion in ways that don't feel too like on the nose because it's also just like, okay, you know, data says a lot of things here about like, it's actually illegal. I'm okay with it because I don't have emotions, but you're not supposed to keep people. And that's fucked up that you thought you could keep me here. And then like just getting to see data like rebel by not acting uh like his willful uh uh sort of like for him freezing himself when the guy's like act normal data and he's like nope i'm not moving fuck you is great like just data has the um sort of sentience to do this kind of thing and make all the decisions on his own uh this is brought to an incredible conclusion as he decides it is probably worth it to shoot this guy and as he's pulling the trigger, uh, he gets warped away. And the way that they handle it, where Riker is like, Data, that gun, that that um, rifle in your hand was discharged. And he goes, yeah, it didn't fire, though. Must have been an error. I don't know. Anyways. And you're like, oh, my God. Data was, like, about to end this episode by shooting a man. Holy shit. Pretty interesting. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because prior to this point in the episode, he and the guy have this exchange where the collector guy's like, uh, so you're a pacifist robot on like a war vessel that's kind of ironic yeah uh and data's like well i would never murder someone but i can kill people and then for this to end where he shoots to kill and then lies about it is like whoa what is data capable of mm-hmm. what what is he gonna do that's kind of terrifying and cool very much very much uh i felt weird about the portrayal of uh Fajo again as the like evil guy with a weird accent I mean I know I think he's just a white guy but they give him a little bit of an accent and he's played by Saul Rubinek who is Canadian but German born and has these like what I'm sure a casting director would call quote foreign like features and he's wearing something that even resembles a fez and it's like Mm -hmm. why do we keep doing this like evil again the cold war we're doing like evil foreigners again but they don't it just is an aesthetic and i feel like they need to be more careful about like why you dress the character a certain way 
and why you gave him a certain accent. But that's not to say that the episode's bad in any way. It's just like something I acknowledge. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. What's the um, like a B, maybe. I think da- data of shooting that gun is giving it a. It's that's where I got B from. Yeah. Yeah, it's number B with a bullet, data bullet. Love it. Almost done. Let's talk about Sarek. So my first question with this one, this is Spock's father, Sarek, comes to the Enterprise for diplomatic reasons. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of um, excitement around this, but we learned that he has a rare Vulcan illness where his emotions are, he's losing control of his like emotional suppression, and that's mm-hmm. bleeding into everybody else in the ship who are having bouts of rage and uh to fix this Picard ops to take on Sarek's emotions and deal with them while he does the diplomacy stuff. And mm-hmm. we learned that Sarek is anxious about getting old and losing control of his faculties. And it's an episode about aging and legacy. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful metaphor here. Uh, I think, um, I also am attached to Sarek because I watched enough TOS to know like how important Sarek is to Spock. Uh, and I wonder how you felt about it like without that much familiarity well so he comes on at the beginning of the episode there's all this build-up where picard and Riker are walking down the hallway in their fancy clothes which is always fun to see them in the fancy uniforms mm-hmm. and they're like oh this guy is coming on this ambassador oh my god i've like always read about him i've always wanted to ask him stuff he seems really cool and so you're like, okay, is this a thing where this is actually someone I'm supposed to know? Or are they just like building up this this fake character? And then he appears and the music and the camera tell you this is someone you should know. <laughs> and so when he turns around, I'm like, oh, is this is this going to be Spock or what? It's not Spock. And I'm like, oh, yeah, didn't Spock die or something or maybe... Okay, well, I don't know who this is. Never heard of him. Anyway, and then later, it wasn't until they do the mind meld at the end and Picard is, like, talking through or with, like, Sarek's emotions and he's like, Spock, Amanda, I love you. And then I'm like, wait, okay, hold who's on. Amanda? Who's Amanda? Yeah. Who's this Sarek guy? And I look it up and it's like, oh, that's Spock's dad. Got it. Got it. Okay. It's Spock's dad. All right. This makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, And like prior to that point for me, the lens I was interpreting this episode through was this is like the first TNG episode where they say, hey, these are Vulcans. And it's not like these are fake Vulcans or these are Romulans. It's like, no, no, no. This is like a Vulcan episode. We're doing all the Vulcan stuff. We're calling stuff logical we're doing the live long and prosper fingers. We're doing a mind. Yeah. Like we're doing Vulcan stuff for the first time in TNG. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know. It was really interesting to me. Like why spend so much time not incorporating what is a, a tentpole species of the Star Trek universe into your show when you have a Klingon officer and you, like in all these other ways are doing other Star Trek-y stuff, but you're keeping this piece kind of far away to then bring it into this episode where the whole point of the episode is like completely deconstructing Vulcans. Uh, 
it was a really interesting choice. And I feel like if I was more of a Star Trek fan, like yeah. from TOS forward, I would have stronger opinions about it and I might even dislike it potentially. Um, but as it stands, uh, I thought it was entertaining and I was like kind of intellectually intrigued by what was going on. Um, but I didn't have like the lore or the attachment to a particular portrayal of Vulcans to have an opinion about how they did it when they like finally came around to doing Vulcan stuff. Totally. Um, and I wasn't sure like, cause I, that, that was my thing I'm most curious about is, Hey, do, do we care about Sarek? And like when I was watching this, I'm trying to think, okay, let's say I have, like you said, you have no idea who Sarek is and you mm -hmm. watch this and all you understand is that he's important. It's, right. it works most of the time. The writers did a good job there, but also he's name dropping people like Amanda and you're like, okay, that's his, I guess that's one of his why, like he had, that's Spock's mom. Right. And it's like, there's a surprising about amount of like backstory that they are referencing. And so mm -hmm. they're trying to split the difference. Like your TOS fans will like this, but also this is about an old man getting old and trying to preserve his legacy. Uh, and so I thought that stuff really worked well. And ultimately I enjoyed this episode, even having not, I, I didn't like, watch all of TOS, but I watched enough to be like, yeah, I get to. And like, I know he's from, he's in the 09 reboot. He's in discovery. He's in like, Sarek is one of those characters that just floats in and out of every part of star Trek, uh, mm -hmm. because he's useful and interesting. But, uh, it's also fun watching everyone get mad at each other. I thought all the anger stuff was like kind of entertaining. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially when Wesley and Jordy are like fighting over a girl and you're like, why would you guys fight over the sink? This doesn't even make sense. Like <laughs> you're mad about nothing. And the way that that boils into eventually Picard and Riker fighting, and it feels like people all need to go to therapy after this one because they're talking about real things that make them really angry. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the part where Beverly slaps Wes, and then she goes, I don't know why I just slapped my son. And now he's probably traumatized now, but we're just going to move past that. It's right. like kind of interesting. Yeah. Also, Sarah crying at chamber music was great when mm -hmm. they're all playing like orchestra music and he cries. Loved that. Beautiful I would cry. Sequence. Pretty good episode. I would say low A, high B. Yeah. Um, I'd be willing to give it an A just for that, like, Patrick Stewart yes. showcase of him giving, like, doing every emotion possible in one monologue. Uh, acting, awesome. Good acting doesn't have to be yelling. And I don't think it's yelling that makes that scene good. I think, like you said, it's it's the variety. It's the it's the mix of emotions that he's doing all back to back to back that makes it a, a tour de force. Yeah. Um, all right. So you're you're like, okay, Sarek's good. Here we go. Let's wrap up the season really well, you guys. Come on, swing it. Yeah. And then TNG is like, okay, got it. What if there's an episode that has Riker? Okay. Uh -huh. Deanna Troy. Yes. Good. Sure. Loaxana Troy. Let's fucking okay. go. And the whole thing is that the Ferengi want to like be with Loxana and they kidnap all three of them. How about that? Is that fun? And At this point, like, I've, lef I've left the room. I'm, uh, is okay. this another source of a meme? Yeah. The Picard doing the hand thing? Yes, it is. There's wow. a lot of TNG memes in this season. Yes. Wow. Uh, that scene is the best scene of the episode. This episode is called Menage a Troy, by the way, which is a bad title. Don't Google that, by the way, guys. <laughs> a nasty, <laughs> nasty title. It's one letter away from the French phrase for threesome. Uh, yeah. That's the joke. Um, but yeah, so Picard uh, doing Shakespeare to convince the Ferengi that he is uh, Luwaxana's secret lover and they have to give her back is like 
amazing. And again, it's Picard doing all this acting and stuff. But wow, the middle of this episode is boring. Wow, 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 wow. Nothing happens when they're just like yeah talking yeah. about being imprisoned. Oh, yeah. Although Deanna yeah. and Riker do kiss. Maybe they do kiss. Are are we invested in Deanna and Riker getting together? I mean, it's just going to happen. It just is going to happen. Yeah, it just feels like they never, like, talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, when, when Loxana was like, oh, whatever happened with you and Riker? And I was like, wait, whatever did happen? Did she, like, have a falling out that I don't remember? Like, what was the moment? We don't. I don't feel like it's it's ever been fully centered, and it still wasn't fully centered here, even though they were together. Yeah, it's such a it's such a strange choice to start the show by saying that they have a romantic past that they like just don't address or use in any way. I don't know. I found this one extremely boring, and I don't know, and maybe yeah. it's because I was burning out wanting to wrap the season up, but also, and I love Loxana. You all know this about me. Right. She's great. There's a part where the Ferengi is like, I'd prefer you naked. And she's like, stop staring at us, you horny dog. But mm-hmm. like, they are also showing parts of their body to us. And I'm like, what? Do you, but are we? We're also supposed to be like aroused mm-hmm. here. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's a bad one. The Ferengi stuff sucks. I'm not a fan of Menasha Troy. You want to know some fun trivia about this episode? Yeah, I do. During the filming of this episode, uh, Colin Powell visited the set. Shut up. And there are set pictures of Colin Powell on the Enterprise, which is fucking me up beyond repair. Oh, God. This episode is a C at the highest, if not a D. It's a low C. Yeah. I can't give a walk sign episode less than a C. Fair. Yeah, so at this point, you're just craving for the show to end well. Please. Please, TNG. You I had such a, such a strong middle chunk here. Give us something good. And then they're like, okay. All right. How about this? Now imagine that there's like a guy uh-huh. who's like a special guy. Oh. Who oh, comes okay. aboard the ship okay. and he's got amnesia. Oh. And he can heal people. Oh. And there are people after him. And... Then he turns into, he puts on a bodysuit uh-huh. and he glows gold. Okay. Transfigurations. Stop with the sp- You know what? We watch these. I'm, I understand. People are going to say, Alan and John, when you guys watch like 15 episodes back to back, you're going to run into the special guy episodes over and over again. There are so many special guy episodes. I'm so sick of them. By this episode, I was like screaming at this guy. He's like, I have healing power. I'm like, no, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Stop. You're yeah. like shuffling the dice. Like, okay, which, who's he going to fall in love with? Oh, and this time it's going to be Beverly. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, that's right. different. Right. Okay, who's he going to connect to? Okay, this time it's Jordy that he, instead of Data, it's Jordy he connects to. That's good. I like to see Jordy happy. He sees that girl that he had the bad date with, and now they're actually getting along because he has yeah. this guy's powers and makes her happy. <laughs> yeah it's just like pretty boring yeah i found, I, I have nothing I have, I have nothing i'm drowning jason ironheart eat your heart out you know what i mean eat your iron heart out eat your iron heart out jason ironheart from babylon 5 that episode is way sillier than transfigurations but it's also the basically the same plot as any of these special guy episodes so 
Right. And the becoming at the end of that one looks way better. Than way better. To be fair, it's becoming like at the end five years one. later. But come on. <laughs> come five on. years later. When was that episode of B5? Uh, I mean, I think you're right, but it's just so so funny that they did. Yeah, 94. So five, four years later, five mm-hmm. years later. Um, It's just funny that they'd made it look so much better. Well, episode. because they tried to go practical. They didn't go CG on this. They literally put that same actor in a yellow suit and used special film to make it glow. Yeah, That's... which looks so bad. He looks like See... freaking Charlie Day or something. Yeah, he looks like Day Man. Yeah. Well, he looks See... like Green Man. Or Green Man, excuse me. I, well, Day Man actually... meets Green Man, I guess. Yeah. I didn't watch that episode of Always Sunny. Sorry. There, No, there is Day Man, but there's also Green Man. Right. But he looks like Green Man. Yeah, he looks like a golden Green Man. Green man. Can we can we take it home with best of both worlds, please? What's the ranking on Transfiguration? Oh, I forgot to give it a ranking. Low C. Is it the only D episode? I think so. Okay. I think it's the only D episode. Sorry. Sorry, season three. And it's such it. a bummer because it's like you're 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 buried. There's no life left in you. The season yeah. needs to end. Please give me something good. And then, oh. It's one of the best episodes of TNG. Huh. <laughs> right. right. That's, that's not fair, guys. What the fuck? Uh-huh. That's really, really, the season has bananas pacing and, and like quality varying all over the place from but from okay to terrible. But yeah, I mean, the best of both worlds, it's well regarded. It's the first of a two-parter that's resolved at the beginning of season four. This is an episode where the Borg are attacking now with the advanced technology known as the Borg Cube. And they capture Picard off of the ship and uh convert him into a locutious of borg at the end of the episode Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh and then Riker is uh forced to command the enterprise to fire on his captain what's gonna happen find out in uh, over a year i think right yeah june 1992 oh no sorry i lied june 1992 september of 1990 okay that's only like a summer still a whole summer oh god (laughs) you hate to see it yeah what um so this is our second time watching this episode. I'm curious, did your feelings about it change from your first viewing to this viewing, having seen everything leading up to it at this point? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. I think the context of like how important Riker's relationship to Picard is becoming made the Riker stuff way better. Uh, learning more about Picard and his and his and how he bonds with everybody on the ship made the Locutious moment way better. It can only add. It's only additive, having watched more of the show. Uh, but ultimately, my final take is the same, which is that this is a stellar first half of a two-parter. It's good. It's good for a reason. It, it, it like forces all of the crew to once again acknowledge, hey, things can be permanent now. We can actually lose our captain. Like There are scenes in previous episodes where, like, oh, is Data dead? Did we blow up Data? Like in the one where he gets kidnapped. You get scenes of people going, like, is Data gone? But this one truly makes it feel like at that very end moment, you're like, I think we just lost Picard. And that's really scary. Even though this is a TV show and you're not going to lose your main captain, really, it the stakes felt real. What about you? Yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, there is just still something about this episode that is irretrievable, I think, um, because yes. we know that TNG goes on for several more seasons we know that there's two spin-off shows. We know that there's a Picard show. We know that he doesn't die and that whatever. And like I've seen Star Trek Nemesis, so I know that Borg stuff goes elsewhere. So there's just a way in which 
this episode is not going to land the same way if you know the context, the like cultural context of Star Trek, the next generation. Yeah. Um, but I think watching season three gave me an even greater appreciation for how season three sets you up to both be ready for this moment and also to think that it's not going to be that big of a deal because there are so many, like the summary said on, on the, on memory alpha, there are so many abductions in this season and Picard getting swapped out for a fake Picard and things that get resolved in the course of an episode that, and even like encounters with the Romulans that escalate and then deescalate that you think like, okay, this is scary, but like, it'll be fine. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, except this time it's not. And that's like terrifying uh, to know, well, wait a minute, this didn't get resolved. And like, maybe this time actually Picard's going to die or a bunch of humans are going to die because of the Borg having control of him or whatever. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I had a greater appreciation for what it, probably felt like to be there in the moment when this aired on TV. And um, it helped me to understand like why this can be such a beloved episode. Um, and I think it's definitely better to watch it here than to watch it like in isolation because it doesn't really, Yeah, it isn't like a, a unique story, right? It, it's like our captain got abducted and turned evil. I feel like that happens in tons of things. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the context of TNG, it's Captain Picard. It's the Borg, which is this scary threat that we didn't even think was anywhere close to us. Um, it's in the context of this season where there's scary things that are then de-escalated. All of that context, I think, makes it uh, a more well-rounded experience than it is just as like something in narrative isolation. Do you remember that episode in early TNG where they found that little like disco ball that had a whole society inside of it and they had to debate whether mm -hmm. or not it's okay. This mm -hmm. is kind of like that where everything around what you're telling me is happening is really fascinating. But like what's happening on the screen is pretty straightforward. And by the numbers, like you're saying, like we've seen Picard gets captured before we've seen the Borg before we've seen people debating their position at, in Starfleet before, but like a whole war happens, you know, a whole like conflict happens on Wolf 359 after this and DS9 happens because of this stuff. And like all of these things, like in the universe of Star Trek blossom out of the best of both worlds, but like in isolation, discussing it as an episode, it's quite good, but by itself, it is just, it is just that it's a quite good finale of a TV show. And maybe that is in part because we don't, we don't have the same context of when it came out but and we knew the, how it was going to end obviously but i can feel myself reaching back into 1990 and saying oh my god is picard actually gone what's going to happen i think that's pretty cool i applaud the writers for actually committing to something it's the ultimate commitment right like so much of the mm -hmm. season it's like we're committing to stakes and this time they're like you know what else we're committing to picard has been changed forever and it's like oh yeah okay right. Unless, <laughs> unless, unless before undoes that in one effortless eff moment. Right. So where would you place this one rankings wise? I know it's heretical, but I want to place it in A. I don't actually think it makes S rank for me if I'm being honest in my heart of hearts. I think that's fair. I think the Riker stuff is really great. Um, I think it still held up for me the second time around this question of like, you know, what is my purpose in life have I sort of softened am I not as ambitious as I once was 
Yeah. I love being here. I love this guy. And yet in the moment of like greatest challenge, Riker doesn't hesitate to say, well, we have to kill him, which I think says a lot about Riker uh, and his capacity to lead and why he's here. Um, and that that's cool. And I think there's like other cool Riker stuff that happens in the second half, which we'll talk about in three months. Huh. <laughs> so we're actually we're 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 semi accurately mimicking the the break, yeah. Except let's really let's try and watch that before three months are up, please. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, do you want to hear the number breakdown of like letter rankings between the three seasons so far? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So, okay, season one had two S tier episodes. One A tier episode, six B tier, seven C tier, five D tier, two F tier, and two bad but actually good. Awesome. So definitely an overall worst season. Yep. Season two was much more had this much more kind of middling chunk. We had one S tier episode, four A tier, five B, five C, four D, one F, two bad but actually good. There are also fewer episodes in season two. Right. Um it's and then upward. This season had no F-tier episodes or bad, but actually good episodes and had the most S-tier episodes and A-tier episodes of a season so far and B-tier episodes, I think. So generally a better season, even though a lot of it felt kind of like meh. We had three S-tier episodes, The Bonding, Yesterday's Enterprise, and Sins of the Father, five A-tiers with The Defector, The Offspring, Hollow Pursuits, Sarek, and The Best of Both Worlds, Part 1. Uh, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight B tier, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine C tier, and only one D tier episode. So according to the numbers, I mean it's our favorite episode of TN or favorite season of TNG so far. Which right. makes sense. Accurate. Um, but yeah. It's cool to see the numbers trend in the direction that we expect. Yeah. I always worried it was gonna be like, oh, are we so like wrapped up in the moment that we actually had way more B tier or way more A tier in season two. We did we fucked this up, <laughs> but no, yeah, this 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 tracks well. Uh-huh. The data, the data is in progress. I love data, just like I love data. <laughs> no, um, great. So thank you, folks, for listening to this episode of Track Chats. We're curious to hear your thoughts on season three of Star Trek: The Next Generation. We wanted to let you know what's going to be going on on the feed pretty soon. So if you're listening to this on the Trek Chats feed. We have a whole main podcast, Chats of Television podcast, which you can check out on our main feed. You search that on iTunes or you go to chatspod.com or simplecast, simplecast.com slash chatspod or whatever, wherever you find it. Um, and over on our main feed next week, we are going to be starting a new season or we're going to be previewing a new season, I should say, um, because we are going to be re releasing our pilot chats of sense eight which we piloted on our patreon years ago i think like 2018 maybe or something like that um a long while ago and we're going to be finally covering that show uh starting two weeks from now so we'll re-release our pilot next sunday and start the show itself on october 23rd will be our first episode of uh sense chats which will run us through uh, to to the end of December. And then our next Trek Chats episode where we'll talk about season four of TNG 
will come out on January 1st of 2023. So in, in about three months or so, you'll hear our next Trek Chats episode on TNG season four. Do you know anything about season four? No. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know the first two episodes, Best of Both Worlds and Fame. Yeah. Yeah. I know those. And that's it. Uh, more serialized is all I know. Way a lot more serialized. Oh, good. Okay. That's fun. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for it. We're, we're spinning, you know? We got, we're going to have a Q episode. We're going to have some cool serialized stuff. Where it's, it's TNG. Like, at this point... More of it is good. I'm mm-hmm. always I'm always ready for more of it. So down for that. We'll reconvene in three months for that. We'll reconvene next week for more chats. And um, I think that brings us to our plug zone. Yeah. Yep. Let's do it. You can get in touch with the show in a few different ways. You can email us at chatspot at gmail.com with your questions, comments, feedback, whatever. If you have captain's logs of your own that you want to record for Trick Chats 4, send them in and we'll play them on the episode. And if you uh, want us to read your thoughts on TNG Season 4, we will happily do that as well. Um, or if you have thoughts on 3 that you want us to read next up, you get the drill. You can send us whatever you want and, and we'll read it. Um, and if you want to join us for our coverage of Sense8, if there's an episode that you want to discuss with us, we have an open-door policy. We invite you on board our ship, the chat's ship. Just uh, send us send us an email saying, here's the episode I want to be on, here's why and we'll get you on the schedule. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash chatspot, and you can uh, tweet at us. You can DM us there, do all the things that Twitter makes possible. If you want to engage not with just us, but also fellow listeners, you can do so at reddit.com slash r slash chatspot, where folks watch current and past chats shows and listen to current and past chats seasons. Um, And you can talk to those same folks on our Discord, which is a benefit for all of our patrons, and also, we'll let you on if you ask nicely and you, you don't have the, the scratch for Patreon. That's okay. Uh, but our Discord's pretty fun. You should join us there. Speaking of Patreon, you can support us on Patreon at $1, 3 or $5 a month. $1, again, gets you on the Discord and gets you some old random bonus episodes um, and a smattering of occasional episodes of me talking about the X-Files when it's very, very dark outside, nighttime even. Um, $3 a month gets you access to twice monthly bonus content, as well as a huge backlog of hundreds of bonus episodes that range from movie commentaries to random discussions to us piloting shows that could make it onto the main feed. And then $5 a month gets you, uh, thanked right here at the end of every main feed episode. Our current $5 a month patrons are as follows. Arthur, who watched the first episode of this season with me. Thank you, Arthur. Let me know if you want to watch any season four episodes, my friend. Jen, Justin, Kat, Lee, my mom, Marcus, Michael, Nick and Pat of the Brothers at Infinite War, Six, and Stefan. Thank you, folks, for supporting us at $5 and up. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, Let's see. What else? If you'd like to support the show, you can also rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can check out our website, chatspot.com. You can support at Camillustrator, who created our podcast art. Uh, and you can uh, just let folks know about our show or about the other shows that we're on. Alan, what else do you do out there in the podcast world? Uh, I'm on some other podcasts. I um, have recently expanded into some old stuff that's coming back. Uh, my main gig is still the Hunter's Quorum, where my friend Six and I talk about the monsters in the Monster Hunter video game franchise. Um, we are also reinstituting Oops More Anime, which is on the Scanline Media website and podcast feeds. It's a, show, a podcast where Six and I um, talk about anime beyond what they talk about on their other anime podcast. And uh, we're start. We're coming back by covering uh, the new Gundam series, Modus Gundam, The Witch from Mercury, 
which is uh, really interesting. And we just put out our first episode discussion of that. Um, I can also be found on Talking Marketing, which is a marketing podcast that I host with my volunteer job with AMA Boston. We interview marketing professionals every other month on there. And it's pretty interesting whether or not you even care about marketing. I like to think it's just a fun interview show. So those are my gigs. What about you? You can hear me on a video game podcast, a monthly video game book club called Super Smash Echoes, where myself and my friend Justin talk about video games that are related to the Super Smash Brothers franchise in some way. It's a fun time. Our most recent episode, which is going out soon, uh, was about F-Zero GX, and we had a very special guest on that one that I'm excited for you all to hear. So uh, check it out, Super Smash Echoes. Fun time, fun show. Indeed. Alan, we like to end these episodes by giving folks a little recommendation that they can enjoy between now and next time. Something to snack on, like a Vlasic Snackum pickle. What's your chatsum? That's what we call them. What's your chatsum? I have two very different chatsums for y'all today. Uh, my first is a TV show that I actually watched. It started thanks to friend of the podcast, uh, Justin, a.k.a. Notepad, uh, Notepad Bridges on, on the Internet. Um, I was staying with Justin when visiting San Francisco. And one night late, we were really tired and we wanted to put something on to, to enjoy. And uh, he showed me Cyberpunk Edge Runners, which is an anime developed by Studio Trigger based in the universe of Cyberpunk, the tabletop game, and most recently the uh, video game, Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, and Edge Runners is basically a really cool, really, really stylish uh, story about a kid who uh, is, you know, dealing with being poor in a cyberpunk future that uh, hates people, that, you know, hyper capitalist hates poor people kind of society. And uh, he gets involved with some interesting gang of criminals and goes on missions with them. And it's it's freaking stunning to look at. It's like a just a one of some of the best animation I've seen in a while. Really styling, really cool. And uh, I'm having a good time with it. I'm gonna watch more of it on my own soon. So check out Cyberpunk Edge Runners. It's on Netflix if you're curious and you want to watch an anime. I'm watching it dubbed, so you can honestly just put it on dubbed and enjoy it in the background. Um, I also just as a more uh, like a dark chatsome uh the movie stalker i watched yesterday with friend of the podcast mckinley uh she had been recommending it for a while after i finished annihilation the book and the movie and stalker which is from 1979 is you know the movie based on the book roadside picnic which also got adapted into the stalker video games it's a quiet very russian very slow meditation on philosophy masculinity and uh existentialism um, and it's beautiful. If you can sit down and be patient for three hours for a movie that doesn't have a lot of dialogue, I promise you it's worth it. It's, it's, uh, it's worth the investment. Uh, and it's on HBO max. So you should check out stalker. It gets the Allen, uh, seal of approval. Uh, but that's what I got. What about you? What are your chats or chat sums? I'll chat some, a show that I watched recently. It was the other show that, uh, Amanda and I binged while meal prepping, and it was the Great British Baking Show. And isn't it a really fun Ooh. show and a nice time? Uh, I I highly recommend it. Uh, I will say they ran into some controversy very recently where they made a kind of racist uh, Mexican joke on yeah. their like Mexico week or whatever. So it's not a great time for me to be recommending the Great British Baking Show. But I have been watching some of it recently. So... That's uh, that's that's where we're at. Are you a Paul Hollywood stan? Stan 
it, no, he seems like he's not a great guy, but he's got a great look. Is he the one who said that joke? No, it was like their jokey hosts who uh, were like wearing serapes and doing some mm, bit or something. Yeah. No, Paul Hollywood is just like he's dated much younger women and like oh stuff like that. <laughs> it's like yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind, Paul. You and your salt and pepper beard. How dare you? What about Mary Berry? Yeah. She's still around. Mary Berry, old lady. No, I think it's a different lady. Different yeah, it's a different lady now. Prue. Okay. I watched uh, GBBL a long time ago, and I liked it quite a bit. It's very relaxing. Did you know that uh, it has to be called the Great British Baking Show in the U.S. because somebody has the rights to the phrase bake off? I think it's like uh, Pillsbury or something. So they can't call it bake off in Whoa. the U.S. In the U.S.? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Pillsbury has the rights to the phrase bake off. It's a trademark that they own. I had no idea. Um, Cool. Well, thanks, folks, for listening to this episode of Trek Chats. We really appreciate it. We will catch you for Trek Chats in a few months and for chats in a couple weeks. Enjoy our pilot chats next Sunday and uh, new episodes of of Chats 8. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Chats 8. I think so. Uh, new episodes of Chats 8 will be hitting your feed uh, starting on October 23rd. Fabulous. Don't forget, folks, Beverly and live long and prosper. I can say that now because there was a Vulcan. I can say it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not cringe. Mm-hmm. I swear I'm not cringe, you guys. <laughs> I'm not cringe. I'm not cringe. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. Okay, stop. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.